All right, welcome everybody to episode number 75 of Sports Cards Live. Today is January the 16th, 2020. I am Jeremy Lee, and tonight we have joining us none other than Carvin Chung, the architect. But before we bring out Carvin, I do want to thank last Saturday's guest, Dr. James Beckett. Needs no further description than that. On After Hours, we had Jay Yokish. A couple of great episodes. They are living on the YouTube channel in the archives. Feel free to go check those out. Next Saturday, next Saturday, my guest will be Brad Hartland of PSA Canada. That's going to be an interesting discussion. You'll want to check that one out. And tonight on After Hours, after we're done with Carvin, in a couple hours' time, Rich Ho, who's a pretty much a super collector, will be joining me on After Hours for a nice chilled out discussion. I want to thank all new members for joining, all new viewers for joining the show tonight. Thanks to Carvin for attracting new viewers to the show. I appreciate that as well. Just hit over 1,900 subscriptions on YouTube. So thanks to everybody who has subscribed. And if you haven't yet, please go ahead and do that. Greatly appreciate it. Want to remind everybody to follow The Big Three Hockey on Instagram. Supporters of the show, these guys showcase the finest singles in the hobby. Check them out. Give them a follow on Instagram. I also want to shout out Basketball Fanatic. They are offering... Eight issue or 12 issues of their magazine for uh, 80 bucks US. Feel free to uh, the, go to the paypal.me on the ticker right now, send them the money, mention SCL, and they will send you those issues. All right. As always, guys, comments and questions are in play. Carvin's in the back room. He's ready to come out. Let's get to him. Let's get to Carvin. You know, this is his third time appearing on Sports Cars Live. He was my first guest ever on episode two. He made another appearance on episode number 30. He's known for inventing the cup and exquisite. He still works in the industry within the distribution channels. He's a fan of the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's a fan of Sidney Crosby. He's originally from Toronto, Ontario, hailing currently from San Diego, California. We are going to bring him out right now. Carvin Chung, welcome to episode number 75 of Sports Cards Live. How you doing tonight, my friend? I'm doing great. I can't believe I have a milestone of 75. That's awesome. You're... I still remember the 75 anniversary uh, patches on the NHL jerseys. So that's how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> the 75th anniversary. Wasn't that the one where they, in 1991-92 Pro Set, there's a 75th anniversary hologram as well. Yeah, numbered out of 10,000 for sure. For sure. Well, listen, great to have you back, Carvin. As I mentioned, you were the first guest I ever had. And I've told the story recently to a couple of people, asked like, you know, the show, how did it end up becoming what it became? And were you planning? I say, no, I wasn't planning anything. But I knew that when I started it, I wanted to come out with a bang. So I called my friend Carvin. I said, Carv, will you come on the show? I want, I want to start this thing off right. And you agreed. And uh, it's, been, uh, it's been a great ride ever since. So I want to thank you for that. And we also had you on episode 30 which was back in, I think, July or, yeah, July. It was a reaction episode to the LeBron James RPA out of 23 that sold for $1.8 million. You joined me uh, with Josh Johnson from Carver Chronicles also, and we had a great episode then. So anyway, we just finished 2020. And before we get into our topics, I do want to give you an an opportunity here to uh, address the hobby a little bit because there's a few things you want to say. So have at it, my man. Yeah, so... um... Ever since I left uh, in 2014 from Panini, I thought that was it. You know, I'm done with sports cards in terms of creating cards, and and I didn't really join any community. I kind of went AWOL for a while. I think the the first event that really got me back into it was the 2019 National, where I was standing in front of a, a collector. Um, he's actually his Instagram is Collector Two Nine One Mike, 
uh, he's a teenager. I was collecting cards, and uh, my one of my bosses was was there. He's like, "So what do you collect?" He goes, "Exquisite." So this is David Rio, and he just turns to me and starts smiling at me. And I go, and he goes to goes to Mike. He goes, uh, he goes, uh, "Hey, do you know who this guy is?" He goes, "No, who is he?" He goes, "He's the guy who created Exquisite." And I was like, "Yeah, I, I am." You know, humbly, I just kind of said, "Yeah, I am." He goes, "No way. There's no way that the guy who creates Exquisite standing right in front of me." So we started chatting, and all of a sudden, he's like, "Dude, you gotta join Instagram." But knowing, I think Jeremy, you know my my job duties, and I've been flying all over the world. I actually. Every year, I stay about uh, two months to three months uh, in in Asia. I actually have an apartment in Shanghai that haven't even used in the last year because of the pandemic, and because of I'm stationed at home now, I'm actually engaging with a lot of the collectors. And one thing of note, I will say, and I said it on your first episode, I believe, is that it's great to meet athletes. It's great to have that experience, but the collectors, the the experience with the collectors, is what drives me. It re-energizes me. It's makes me more passionate about the hobby. I'm now joining the groups of being a collector. I was a collector, then became into the distribution business, then went up to Upper Deck and created products. And now I'm back to a collector. Um, it's kind of killing me because I have all these creative ideas that's going through my head day after day after day. And and thank you for everyone reaching out to me and you know just kind of saying, hey, we appreciate what you did. But realistically, it's the collectors that make the products that it does um and by all means definitely send your feedback to the companies tops panini upper deck even leave because the people that work that grind every day don't get enough credit for what they do so definitely give them some feedback maybe some con- constructive criticism if you choose to um, but always be positive and those people would really be enthused and energized from your feedback so just a heads up but thank you to everyone Great message. So, so you're enjoying the Instagram community, aren't you? I am. I am. And I, I thank you for all the new followers. And I appreciate uh, everyone just uh, communicating with me and giving me a, a chance to even express some of the stories that I have behind the cards and behind some of the athletes. So I, I love sharing that with people. Right on, man. So I, I'm curious, you just sparked my interest in something because you talked about your history. When you act, because you got your job, your first job with a card company was Upper Deck. And before that, you were a, a vendor set up at card shows. You you had a card shop that you worked that you worked with, I believe, some family members and that. How did you actually get the job at Upper Deck originally? And when you got that job, was part of the was part of the interview process like what ideas, what fresh ideas can you bring to the table? So I started in '89. <clears throat> now I'll be honest, I was a card geek when I was a kid. And it was a geeky thing to do, collect cards. But by the time you got to about 10, 11, 12 years old, people were like, you're still collecting hockey cards? So it's kind of like a, a complex. You're like, okay, I have to give it up. You know, I got to give it up, give it up. But later on when 89 came out, it pulled me back in. So obviously I always had that interest because of the hologram and the double-sided photos. Uh, but with that being said, I, I started having my own business, running two flea markets, uh, hustling for the shows. I was at the first ever sports card expo. I was set up there. Uh, so all the way to you met me at the sports card expo. I mean, I was set up till, until I left for Upper Deck. Um, at, afterwards, I worked for a distribution company called Grosner in uh, Toronto. And we would have uh, the brainstorming meetings and feedback meetings. And I think Upper Deck took notice that I had a lot to offer to in terms of ideas and all that. And then later on, when I was available as a free agent, then they called me up and say, hey, why don't you come down for an interview? And I think the process 
went well. And plus, uh, I had a dream job to going to work for the company that really pulled me back into it. I could be the ultimate geek now and and create cards. So it was a fun job and a very passionate job. Right on. Okay, so we're going to get into some of the topics we have on hand. We got collected some questions off of, from Instagram over the last couple of days, which we're going to get to in a little bit. I just want to welcome everybody who's watching. We've, we've got a bunch of guys in the house. Hockey Cards official, Rondell, Brent Terman, Axe Knight, Mike Truman, Al G, B, Roy, Brett, Ryan, Dennis. See all you guys there. Thank you so much for joining us. Mark Lee's around, Jason Pringle. All right, guys, if I didn't say your name, peeps, I apologize. We're not, Daniel, I see you there. Brody, Brody the Kid did his show with Dr. Beckett earlier tonight. I caught a snippet of it. Check out Brody the Kid on on uh, YouTube as well, everybody. Okay, Carbon, so you got the job at Upper Deck. One thing leads to another. You, you, you invent Exquisite in 2003. You go ahead and you, by 2005, it's time to produce a product for hockey that's gonna be at that same price point. You guys, you guys at Upper Deck come up with the Cup, and it was a great year for the Cup because it was a dual rookie year. We had a lockout in 0405, so there were no products in 04, no rookie cards. I shouldn't say there were products, but there were no rookie cards in 0405. Maybe a few holdovers, but in 0506, you had the dual rookie class. It was a perfect time to launch the Cup, and the the cornerstone card in the set is and was the Sidney Crosby RPA. And you, as as the as a collector, as a hockey fan, and as the inventor of the product, have been chasing one of these cards for a long time. I have, yeah. You finally acquired a Crosby Cup rookie patch auto for your collection. What? Tell us the story. Tell us the story right. of the chase and the and the catch. There it is. So I don't know if you can, can see it. The light's probably not doing well with it. Uh, okay, so it's a one color. Uh, obviously, if it's a three-color, the price goes up substantially. Uh, it's it's actually something I couldn't really ask the wife to uh, to allow me to buy my legacy card. So obviously, um, I think uh, with the LeBrons going as crazy as it had, I said I had to own at least one of my two legacy cards, right? One exquisite 0304 LeBron, which I wanted badly, but now that it's gone to length to the price where it's at, you know, almost a million dollars. There's no way I can afford that. Um, and so I said, Crosby, I, I was, I was looking at, I've been looking at Crosby for ever since 0506. I've been looking at LeBron since 0304 where they're, where they're ending. And for an actual fact, I think about up to seven years after the cup was launched, Crosby was outselling LeBron's and LeBron just took off in the last five, six years to, to reach to the heights it has. And yet Crosby has, basically hovered around the same price, maybe 10, 20%, maybe 30% more. Um, that, at this point, I was just like, you know what? I just got to buy one now. I got to own this. Part of the reason is in 2018, I had my daughter. And, you know, for for what I've done in terms of the what I've accomplished in our industry, I figured, you know what? She should own something that is one of my legacy cards. So it's really for her. It's not for sale. It's not for resale. It's not something I would look at it's worth five hundred thousand a million dollars i don't think i'd sell it maybe she would but for me i wouldn't so that's what that's the main reason that's the main driver i think kids change our lives in the sense that we want a piece of our legacy with them for sure so tell us a little bit about how you acquired the card well it was tough because everyone would tell me oh, you can get one for 10 15 maybe twenty thousand, and i was like i can't find one but i know obviously with my past I know a lot of exquisite collectors. I know a lot of cup collectors, and there was a few on eBay. and And I was looking. Well, let me let me call somebody that I know has 
good lineage, uh, a friend of mine and a friend of yours, probably Anthony Switek. So, you know, he, he actually pointed out, well, he has a one color a nine that he feels that it's actually should be a 9.5. And, you know, we worked out a deal. I paid over time. I, I couldn't come up with the money immediately. And he was willing to accept that uh, probably mainly because of my involvement in the cup and his collection is just massive in terms of 0506, especially OV, but also Crosby too. So, uh, we worked out a deal over time and uh by the end of the year i said hey i gotta pay off the whole entire amount and he said you can wait till january 3 january 4. i go no for chinese people we're we have uh we're superstitious and for chinese new year you're not supposed to owe anybody any money so i said you know what december 31st i gotta pay you right now that's the way that it has to work right so i feel bad that i don't pay you so so we did the final deal and uh, the final payment and i got the card recently so i'm happy to have it Nice. That's the first time uh, that I've heard where and who you got it from. I'm not surprised it came from Anthony. I've known I've known we've known Anthony for probably 15 years now. Anthony, someone I invited onto the show recently because his 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 Instagram account has kind of blown up because he mm-hmm. his, he probably has the finest modern hockey collection in the world. I think some of these auction houses would would lose their lids if they could get their hands on them. And mm-hmm. uh, I invited him on, but he 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 wasn't interested. So I want I want to shout out to everybody watching. If you're on Instagram, go to the account. It's at Ovechkin. Uh, I don't the remember great. the exact Ovechkin the Great, I believe it's Ovechkin the Great. There's an eight in there somewhere. Yeah. You can't miss his account. He's got it's ridiculous what he's got. But go tell him you want to see him on the show, and maybe he'll he'll finally cave and come on on an episode here with me. So that would be great. But well, and, and in fact, uh, I have an Asian collector that uh, just recently bought the one of '99 Crosby from him. So I'll probably I'll I'll probably show the reveal on Instagram Live in the, in the next uh, week or so on that card, but it's not mine. I wish I could afford that card, but it's it's going into a private collection and it probably won't be seen. So I'll have the last chance to show it. And then knowing all these cards, I you know we all know that I hand packed the cup, a majority of these cards. So I don't even know if my fingerprints or DNA are still on these cards. <laughs> that, that's that's hilarious man they probably probably is all right i i just want to bring up uh terry's comment here because i agree wholeheartedly he says never ask the wife about buying a card that's your first mistake carve but hey obviously you got one so that's all right that's all right and uh mark lee shouts you out one of the good guys in the biz go back 40 years with uh carvin very nice mark mark's a veteran of the card show circuit legion good evening oh here we go amish dave archer just gave us this is the account we're talking about, everybody. At Ovechkin the Great Eight, go follow him on Instagram and then send him a message and say, "Hey, we want you to go on Sports Cards Live." And I bet if enough people ask, he will uh, he'll agree to come on. And he's a friend; I've known him for years. We had dinner we had dinner on the Sunday night after the National in, in Chicago in 2019, and he still won't come on with me. So let him know. Let's put some pressure on this guy. His collection is is uh, it's not to be believed. It, it's really that it's really crazy. So. Um, Davey, Davey wants to know what, what did the old one of 99 go for? I mean, I, I don't know if we can talk. I, I can't really disclose, disclose that. All I know is that, uh, I have to be the mediator on this, on this deal. So, uh, I love, I love to tell everyone, but I just can't, it's not my car. It's not, you know, I'm not the buyer or the seller. So, uh, it's not my, it's not my choice, No, but, but I'll, I'll get, I'll get the card and I'll show it to everyone and everyone will get to see the reveal in the next week or so. So I'll try my first Instagram live uh, next week sometime. 
All right. Well, and the funny thing is, uh, Dave, the guy who posted this question, there was a third person that I had dinner with with Anthony in in, in August of 2019 after the national. It was Dave, whose whose name is on the screen. The three of us had dinner at a Mexican restaurant just uh, in one of the suburbs around Chicago uh, last year. Uh, thanks for joining, Dave. Uh, Jordan Hagedorn, good evening to you. Great to see you, buddy. Hi, Jordan. Uh, all right. So. In your opinion, Carvin, I want to talk about goats for a second. Greatest of all times. It's something that is a very hot topic in the hobby. It's a it's a terminology everybody's using. You know, who, the goat. Michael is it is it Michael Jordan? Is it LeBron James? Is it Wayne Gretzky? Is it Mario Lemieux? Who is it? Bobby Orr? Who is it? In your opinion, Carvin, where does Sidney Crosby fall within the discussion of of goats? Well, if you say all time, I mean, we have to go back to Gretzky and Bobby Orr. I mean, for for me. The greatest of all time for my lifetime would probably be Bobby Orr, uh, and then probably Gretzky. But Crosby is right, right there, right up there with them. And the main reason why is that number one, uh, we know that his career stats aren't the best. He's, he's suffered a lot of injuries. He's not the biggest of all players, and he plays very shifty. You know, he's not an extremely fast skater, similar to Gretzky. He's he's very deceptive in, in terms of his speed. Uh, what, what I would say about Crosby, he's won at every single level. He's won the World Juniors gold. He's won the world championship gold. He's won with the Pittsburgh, champ, uh, Pittsburgh Penguins as a champion. Uh, he also won the Olympic gold medal in 2010 and 2014. And we can get back to that uh, a little bit later. The other thing of note that a lot of people don't realize, the younger collectors and probably of hockey even, or even if you're not a big collector of hockey, or you're not a big hockey fan, he probably single-handedly saved the franchise, the Pittsburgh Penguins, from moving. At that time, it was all talking about Jim Baselli from Blackberry One by Pittsburgh, moving to Hamilton. That was the big deal that was going on. And even though Mario Lemieux was one of the owners, they were struggling. And when that chance for Crosby to be the number one pick for the Pittsburgh Penguins, it saved the franchise. I mean, I might do an Instagram post with Dr. J and, and Sidney Crosby saying the hockey player and the fish that saved Pittsburgh. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That goes back a long time. You know, Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh Penguins franchise were, were, were very lucky, really, because let's let's if you go back to 1985, uh, Mario Lemieux came around at, at, the, at a, the, the perfect time. The Pittsburgh Penguins were bottom of the barrel NHL team at the time. Mario Lemieux comes around and six years later, they win the Stanley Cup right? because of him. And of course, there were other great players on that team by then. And then he starts to wind down. They get the number one overall draft pick. And lo and behold, they draft the next Mario Lemieux being Sidney Crosby. So boy, did that team ever have some fortune and they managed to secure Evgeny Malkin as well. Not, right. too, not too much later. Actually, that brings me to, I had a I got a question on Instagram it was from uh, at RGB hockey. And he posed the question for you to answer. Uh, if you have a take on it, basically he was wondering, do you see Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin retiring as Pittsburgh Penguins? Crosby for sure. I, I can't see Pittsburgh letting Crosby go just because of the, it's just a legacy. Now we all, I don't know if uh, a lot of people follow Sydney, but his favorite team is the Habs. So, I mean, that could be an, an opportunity for him to become a Montreal Canadian in the future. I'm sure Hab fans would love to hear that. Uh, and also, I don't know if not a lot of people know his father, Troy Crosby was drafted by the Montreal oh. Canadiens after Patrick Wall was drafted in the same draft year. So I'm sure maybe that's the reason why he's a Montreal Canadiens fan. But the fact that he's in Nova Scotia on the East Coast, 
Montreal is, is definitely the team of choice there, not the Toronto Maple Leafs. And what about Malkin? Do you think they you could just see them letting him go, or you can see him deciding to go to move on? I mean, Malkin's skills are up there still. I mean, he's still a, a top franchise player. To then is it is it going to be letting him go, or is he willing to sign for less? I just I, I if I had to pick one of the two, it'd be Crosby to keep. But I don't. I'm not sure if Malkin would be gone either. I think he'll probably end up staying with Pittsburgh. Okay, well, hey, that answers the question we got. Let's talk about the other mega star for the Pittsburgh Penguins in, in their during their history, which, in my opinion, is none other than Yaramir Yager, mm-hmm. one of the most dynamic players of all time, and a guy who's still playing professional hockey at the age of 58 or something like that. <laughs> I, I did, I think, 46 or something. He's, gosh, maybe even older. But anyway. Um, there's a, there were, there were a couple big card sales recently that occurred. Obviously there's the 1952 tops Mickey Mantle. We'll talk about that in a second, but one that was under the radar was, an op- uh, this is from the junk wax era, a 1990, 91 Opeechi premier Yager, Yarmer Yager rookie mm-hmm. card in a BGS 10 slab. Okay. This card, now this is a card that you could buy, you can buy raw, I don't know, a couple months ago for, I don't know, 25, 30 bucks. Probably you could buy a PSA 10 a year ago for about 180 to 100 dollars. Now they've now they've gone up in value. A BGS 10 just sold the other day for I wrote it down here four thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars U.S. dollars. It's a lot of money for a card where the PSA 10 version sells for about five hundred bucks right now. You know, what do you think when you hear that? When you hear that a an, a, a junk wax era card, an Opeachy, a Yager Opeachy Premier Rookie sells for just shy of $5,000. What, what do you think? I think it's great for hockey. It comes down to it. Uh, it's uh, he's, he's one of the iconic players in that era between you know, Gretzky retiring. Well, not Gretzky retiring. I guess the Lemieux years when they won the Stanley Cup all the way till Sydney or till he left for the KHL. And that was a long time ago. In fact, his numbers, so we talk about Ovechkin, beating possibly Gretzky's record for most goals. Yager was on pace, but he went to the KHL instead, and, and thus, obviously, he could not beat that record. But, I mean, his he was, uh, he was a, 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 I won't say a finished flash, but he was a, definitely a fun player to watch. I mean, you know, always saluting, doing the salute after goals. Um, he was like the Ovechkin back in the day. Like, he was just a fun player. Like, it, it's funny how we looked at hockey players in terms of the Canadians. The, the Canadian hockey players like Sydney and Mario and Wayne, they were kind of quiet. They knew that they were going to be the next star and the parents groomed the, them to be that way. And then you got the Europeans that come in. Most of them are quiet, but then Yager was not. And of, of course, Ovi is completely different. He's, a, he's, he's one of the fun, most fun players to, to watch and also to meet too. So if you have, have an experience with him, he's a great person to, to hang out for a bit. Well, if you can arrange that, I'd be happy to hang out with Ovi for a couple of days. He'd that'd be a lot. That'd be a lot of fun. I just want to mention this Jagger card that sold. You know, because when we chatted about it a bit earlier, you you made the comment that they're not hard cards to grade. You know, it's not that hard to get, say, a PSA ten, but a BGS ten has proven to be quite difficult. And if we look at the populations, there's only the population of the BGS ten is thirty three copies have achieved that status, that grade out of. 3,896 that have been submitted to, to BGS grading. If right. you look at the PSA 10s, it's a big difference. 33 BGS 10s, 2,736 
PSA 10s out of 8,365 graded. So about 30% or so are getting that uh, are, are getting that lofty PSA 10 status. But if you right. add up if you add up both total pops from each company, you get 12,261 cards. Only and this one that sold for $4,750, I think we could argue is one of the 33 finest copies out of over 12,000, putting them in the top 0.27% of the population, hence why it gets such a premium being $4,750 versus 500 for a PSA 10 or probably 50 bucks for a raw copy. You know, based on the history, again, you know the history of the hobby carbon, but based on the history of the, of the hobby, based on what's gone on really in the last year, but more importantly for hockey in the last month, really since the Gretzky PSA 10 sold, are you know you said earlier it's good for hockey i agree it's good for the it's good for the hockey segment of the hobby but do you think that a that a car that, that a card is worthy of that price or that value based on such a a small population like does that makes does that does that re resonate with you that a, a card that there's 33 out of over 12,200 that have achieved that grade that it should be worth that much more than the rest i agree with that i mean in in the end the one thing that we know about hockey collectors is that a lot of them are collectors. There's not a lot of pro there's not a lot of cards that hockey collectors are willing to give up. Um, there's a lot of PC collectors. There's a lot of people that are probably speculating on on these cards. And if a ten is so hard to achieve, I mean, all we have to do is look at pop reports across the board on all cards. That's a really low pop report. Uh, it's you know less than one percent for a 10 is is really low so that's one of the 33 best cards so if you if you had a yager card that was a rookie out of 33 what is it worth per se right. so i mean that's that's actually you know a good comparison if you want to look at it that way on, on a pop report but i think that uh yes on a, on a grade wise i know that there's a lot of bgs nines a lot of psa tens and i think part of the reason why you're not seeing that pristine quality is that when we were all dealers, I mean, I was a dealer back in 1990, I was selling Opeachy Premier. People had stacks of all the rookies breaking up boxes and had stacks of rookies in little count cases. So chances are a lot of these cards got, you know, moved around, shifted around one corner, one side could have got damaged. Or a lot of people were selling sets in the little 132 uh, card boxes that were, they were selling these Premier sets. So that's the only way you're getting it. Now, there are people that have wax now. Uh, or have foil and you can buy foil but you know centering becomes an issue because it's a border card um, and also it's not an as it's it's actually not an easy foil to rip like it is today too so it kind of i don't know kind of I, I, I don't even know what it's, it's it's almost like a skin that comes off the foil on on that pack so yeah. and how do i know because i still have cases of that stuff back home so that's how long i go but far no, I used to set up at St. Gabe's Church in Toronto on Bayview with all the all the uh, 1991 Premier Wax. So I, I remember that stuff fondly. The so gold cool. wax and the black boxes. I remember the day it came out, man. There, it, it was so premium in its time, and it was like, whoa! Oh, Opeachy came out with another set in the same year. Like we never, we'd never seen two sets by one manufacturer in the same year. Right. That was like, whoa! This is awesome. So, and what what a beautiful card it was, and it still is. I think there's an argument to be made, and some people, you know, if you're if you're listening to what we're talking about in terms of those those uh, population numbers, it's quite likely that if you took all of those 2,700 PSA tens, a couple of those would probably achieve a BGS ten grade as well if they were to be crossed over. But no one's ever going to take that risk and do it. I just wanted to make that point. 
Um, I, we were talking about goats earlier, Carbon. You said you, you you erroneously said that Bobby Orr is the goat, and then Wayne Gretzky. I, I jest when I say uh, erroneously, but um, Hockey Cards <laughs> official agrees with you. Same with him, and uh, Hockey Hockey says, "Yeah, Bobby Orr is the goat." But for the record, I'm going to state that in my opinion, the goat is Wayne Gretzky. Uh, but hey, I just want to get that out there. I want to hey, thank you, John, for the really nice comment. Appreciate that. Welcome to the show. And uh, Mark says, my worry is that once again, we're producing too many rookie cards, young guns, regular canvas exclusive. Aren't you worried about it getting ridiculous again? So, I mean, I got some thoughts on that, Carvin, but, uh, you know, th this comes back to the whole discussion. Are we entering into another period like we did in the 90s? Now, we've talked, I've it's been talked about on this show a few times, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but do you want to share your perspective on maybe what is either similar between what's going on right now in the hobby and the early nineties and also maybe what's different. I think, I think there's a lot of differences in, in terms of the rookie cards, um, young gun. And we can talk about this. I mean, young gun, I, I equate, especially for Sidney Crosby is equivalent to tops Chrome. That's a type of brand equity both sets had. You didn't have Chromium back then in hockey. So that's the, the core set that everyone puts together. It's the one set that if you're a hockey guy, you have to have an upper deck set. And Young Guns is is basically the the big rookie card for that group of set collectors. Uh, all these other rookies, yes, there's a lot of sets out there, but it's great. I think uh, when when you want to collect rookies, obviously we have PC collectors, guys like for yourself, like you collect Dale Howarchuk and a little bit of Solani, and you go through the seven C's just to find your white whale Dale Howarchuk cards. Well, there's going to be people that don't have a PC, but they collect rookies, and it's great for them to collect all the array you know all the all the different array of rookie cards that they can get uh and, and i think it's important that we have different price points because when you when you have an opichi let's say a rookie card that opichi card that's ten dollars that is an entry point for a kid or a child or a, a new a new collector um i was just talking to a nephew of mine and he was like oh i got some mahomes rookies and he was showing me like he had donruss rookies or he was looking for a Donruss rookie. He had some other rookie cards, rookie set. And I was just like, yeah, that's great. That's, that's an entry point for him to get a Mahomes rookie. And now he wants to upgrade or he wants to buy more to add to his Mahomes collection. And, and that's that's what we need to, to see because if you have that one card, that's one rookie card, there's nothing else for you to get. You're done for the year, right? right? So, so for example, Lafreniere, he has a UD card. He has that. And then all of a sudden you don't have all these other sets. You know, it, part of the enjoyment is the journey. It's the chase. It's to acquire the cards. Uh, once it's done and you have to wait another three months for it, then you're out of the hobby for a while. And I think that's what's great about our community is that, and also a lot of a lot of the hockey collectors, uh, along with other sports too, they're willing to help out anybody to, hey, you, you need this, I'll trade you. Even if I, I don't do well in the trade, they're fine with that, especially for a young child that's starting up with their collection. Yeah, for sure. You see, we see that all the time. The hobby people being quite generous. It's really nice to see for sure, for sure. Um, okay. I want to uh, bring up Daniel's comment here about Crosby. He's 36 goals away from 500. I mean, that's uh that, that's a big deal. If you're watching the show right now and you're not a hockey guy, but you're interested in it because you watch this show or for whatever, whatever reason, 500 goals, that's a big number. What would that equate to in terms of home runs? Do you think? 500. Or, 500. 500 home runs. So, I mean, that, it's a it's a big number. And uh, not every player gets there. That's for darn sure. So, that'll be that'll be nice. And I, you got to think that there's, you know, 
It's the first time I've considered it was Daniel's comment here. And it makes me wonder if it's, you know, we talked about, we talked about future accomplishments being baked into current prices. People are, you know, you, you know, a year ahead of someone, if, if, if someone's going to be in the hall of fame in most cases. So right. the price goes up in advance. I wonder if any of, if the hobby has considered that Crosby's on the verge of 500 goals could get there this in this shortened season. It's possible, but for sure next season, you've got to think he'll get there. You think it's baked into the prices already, or do you think the hobby's even aware that he's that close to 500 goals? Well, what what we did see for sure was baked into their prices is Ovi. I mean, for a long time, I, I'm sure every single Ovi collector and every hockey collector was like, why is Ovechkin so reasonably cheap in comparison to everything else? And now, in many cases, Ovechkin has surpassed Crosby because it, it almost came in the same time when people mentioned, hey, Ovi has a shot at breaking Gretzky's record. So when that happened, all the cards went up. So he had a huge surge in pricing. He's past Crosby. And I think a lot of people kind of forgotten about Crosby. Um, there are a, a Crosby is a kind of like, it's kind of weird. He has a mild personality, but he has people that love him. He also has a lot of people that hate him. You know, similar to like Gretzky was back in the yeah. day. Uh, not so much or, or doesn't have that or, um, uh, or around him for that reason. But Gretzky, I used to hate Gretzky when I was a kid. So maybe that's why he's my number two, just because I thought, you know, he wouldn't, he wasn't tough enough. He was just always shifty and always wore that Jofa hat, that the helmet that, you know, really is a, not even a helmet kind of made him, make him look a little bit more awkward, I guess. Uh, and, and it comes down to it. You know, I think Crosby has that part of the, the collectors that don't like him, even Canadian. I, I hear a lot of Canadian collectors don't like him. They like Ovi more because he's more flamboyant. He's more fun to watch. And I, and I think that's that's part of the reason. But uh, it's starting to move up. As we talked about Crosby, I think uh, about two months ago, he was about 1500 for a BGS 9.5, and now they're ending at 3500 So he's more than doubled in the last little bit. And I still feel that he's still probably one of the most underrated cards in the hobby at this point. Yeah. You know, relative to the, the 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 big guys in the other sports, the Bradys, the Lebrons, that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, I got to I got to agree. But we are seeing we are seeing hockey cards creep up in value. You know, mm-hmm. across the board, especially and and really the, the the important cards for the for the most important players, which is great to see. Back to Mark Lee's comment about you know, are we seeing and you know, is it getting to be too much like the early '90s? Uh, just a couple of random thoughts I have on that, if I may. Um, the world is a different place today, you know, 30 years later than it was in the night. There was no internet back there. It, it was so much harder to find cards back then that you that were rare. Older cards, now you can find whatever you, you know, back then you were lucky if there was a single Bobby or rookie card in your city, in a, in a, in a card shop in your city. Now you can go on eBay, you can buy one any day of the week pretty much if you want. So that's just one subtle difference between now and then. No, there was no eBay. There were there was no comps. There were no fractional ownerships. There were no online auctions. There was no golden PWCC heritage probe scene. All no, no, nothing like that existed. And uh, and what what we've seen lately is that people want they want options and they want to have a selection. And uh, you know, back to that whole price point thing, I think it's just I, th- I think it's it, it really is apples and oranges. And uh, if we get too hung up on trying trying to find similarities between 2020 and 1990 you're going to find some you're probably going to find a few similarities but don't let my, my caution to you is don't let that slow you down if you if mm-hmm. you don't let that draw the conclusion that 
we're going to, that in two years from now, we're going to have another 1994, you know, where, where the hobby kind of things kind of, I don't want to use the, the word crash, but I'll say it just to, to explain what I'm trying to say. But anyway, I just want to make those comments. Let's talk, Carmen, let's talk about the, uh, the Mickey Mantle, the PSA 9 Mickey Mantle that just sold last week during this past week. $5.2 million, PSA 9. It's a population of six. There's three tens that exist. There's, I've heard all sorts of speculation about what a PSA 10 would be worth in, in today's market after a nine sold for 5.2. I think the last sale was 2.6, 2. Point something. Yeah. And, and it was when I was writing this down today, making some notes for our, our show right now, I realized that 5.2 million is 52 tops, right? I, I wonder if that came into play when they set the price. But how, when you learned of the, when you learned of that sale earlier this week, what went through your mind? I'm shocked uh, because, like, like we said, what three years ago or two years ago, the 10 went for 2.6, and there's actually a, apparently through some through the grapevine, I heard that there was an offer made on the 10 for 12 million dollars and it was turned down. So. I mean, that card will be the largest sports card sale of all time. You know, the 52 male PSA 10, if that happens. All right now, at this current time, this is the largest sale for a sports card. And it seems like every month or every quarter of a year, we're seeing a new record, you know, the Trout. I'm actually kind of happy to see a Mickey Mantle beat Trout right now. Just the vintage card should really own that record. And who knows what the Wagner would would fetch now if it shows up. Who knows what's gonna what's gonna happen with that card? Oh, for sure. I mean, it was nice that a Wagner did recently sell for uh, three point was it three point eight or something like that. Like there was a Wagner that beat the old Wagner record. That was cool. But I'm with you, and I'm with. I think a lot of people in the hobby are, are actually feeling like all is back in balance now that it's a vintage card that owns the record as the most expensive sports card ever sold. Now this was a private sale. It wasn't a public auction. So we don't know what, what it would have sold for if it was at auction. But in my opinion, it doesn't matter. The sale was consummated. The seller has come out. The buyer has come out very publicly and talked about the purchase and why they bought it. And, and you know, and he, uh, his name is Rob Go. He's an actor. I don't, I don't know much about him, but I hope to learn more. Seems like a great guy, young guy. And he just felt that it was a card that deserved to be to, to have the record as the most expensive card. And, and he had the funds to purchase that card and set that record. So right. kudos to him. But um, yeah, I'm with the hobby. You know, Brody made the comment. I just saw it here. He says that the PSA 10 could sell for $25 million. We could. Easily. Yep. Easily. 20. I've, I heard people saying 10 million. 15 million, 20, why not 25? And I heard the on Hobby Hotline this morning, Brody was co-hosting with Brian Gray and uh, Brian Gray made the comment that, you know, it, it could, it doesn't matter. The person that could buy that card, they could pay 25 million or they could pay 80 million. It's not going to make much of a difference to them. That diff- those $55 million in, in, in between there, it's still a drop in the bucket to someone who can afford a card for $25 million. So, I mean, wh- I'd love to see, I would love to see one go to auction. I'd love to see another nine go to go at auction and see what it would sell for. But it just seems like, you know, 2020, the hobby transformed in 2020. And then we've been wondering what's 2021 going to look like. And it looks like 2021 is picked off right where 2020 left off. Right. Up right where it left off and we'll continue. It just seems like things are continuing, but you never know. 
what are your thoughts, man? You know, before we move on to our next topic, what are your thoughts sort of on on that, the the recent trends in the hobby and what you think 2021 is going to look like? Well, right now, I mean, we're seeing a lot of money coming in, uh, whether it's new products or new cards or old cards or wax in general. Uh, a lot of influencers, a lot of celebrities, a lot of athletes, they're all coming in buying, um, investing into companies that are set, you know, the support companies, whether it's like we talk about Star Stocks, uh, PSA, you know, uh, Steve Cohen, of course, the uh, owner of the Mets is, is one of the VC partners, I believe. It's called Cohen. So I, I match with Steve Cohen from New York. Uh, so, so I think that there's a lot of money that's coming in and investing into the business. Uh, where it takes us, no one really knows. I mean, you know, the pandemic is still kind of raging. So that also still keeps everyone locked down inside. And then obviously their focus is on the hobby. But right now, I think it's, a, it's still, you know, a good time to be buying. Uh, it depends what you want to buy. Like, I mean, I, I honestly, back in the 90s, when when there was a crash, what maintained the pricing? And it's really vintage cards is the one that, you know, you want to go over your blue chip stocks, you want to go over your vintage, because you know that those cards are scarce. Sure, there could be a, an attic that opens up and there's like 10 Mickey Mantles PSA 10s that come out of there. But even then, if it's worth 20, 25 million at $8 million, they'll be all snapped up. Yeah. Right? So, sure. so, I mean, it comes down to the supports there. Right? These these cards don't come to market at all, hardly ever come to the market. So those cards will still have that marketplace, yeah. still have that support. And that's why it's great that Mantle kind of took back the throne as the highest selling sports card of all time versus Mike Trout, who a lot of people like everyone's heard of Mickey Mantle. Everyone's heard of Babe Ruth. Every, I mean, everybody that lives in North America, you know, unless right. you really are a hermit. But not very many people, relatively speaking, have heard of Mike Trout. I can mention him to people in my everyday life. They don't even know who he is, he, right. which is kind of weird. So it's it's. Everything's back to normal with with Mickey Mantle being the, the highest card. Before we get into our next topic, which is we're going to call the next topic, turning back the clock to 1989, because mm -hmm. there's some stuff I know you want to get. I do want to bring up, uh, Matt Godfrey just made this comment, so I want to bring it up. He says, I really like Upper Deck Allure. What do you guys think about its upside? Also, Jeremy Sports Cards Live, what do you think of Braden Point? I'm a basketball guy, but I got some of cards. I just want to let you know, Matt Godfrey, I'm a big fan of Braden Point. He's from where I live. And, uh, you know, he broke through last season. I think he's a great player. He plays on a great team. As for Allure, I think it's a nice product upside. I can't predict that. Carvin, any comments on, on Braden Point and Upper Deck's Allure? So I think Braden Point is, is a great hockey player. I mean, obviously his pricing isn't that high and it's a good time to jump in. However, when we start looking at teams, you want to you invest into the alpha dog of that team, the one player. Like, you know, Michael Jordan had Pippen. Pippen's never going to be... As high as Michael Jordan at that during that time, and same thing for Evgeny Malkin and, and Sidney Crosby. So Braden Point becomes a focal point on that team. He will jump up in pricing. Uh, it's really Steve Stamkos' team, and Steve Stamkos is, a, is the main guy that you know the hobby is really focused on and in, in investing. So and he's he's starting. He has a good start again, and you know he's one of those guys that when we talk about 500 goals, he's getting up there too, and he's he might even be the guy that. Breaks Ovi, who knows? I mean, we don't know. I mean, he has that ability. Now he's had a few major injuries, so that takes sets him back a little bit. But like if he, he didn't have those injuries, he'd be right up there. Yeah, Stamkos has had those injuries for sure. Now uh, Kucherov is out, I believe, for the whole season, which which right. hurts that team, but it gives other guys opportunities. But I, I could see Braden Point, you know, for a while there, 
there was more hobby love for Braden Point than there was Steven Stamkos, you know, last cool. season. So I, I could see that happening. Um, and it's too bad for that team that Kucherov's gone. But again, that will shift some of the hobby love uh, back to Stamkos and also on to Braden Point this coming season. So, okay, thanks for that uh, comment, Matt Godfrey. Welcome to the show. Uh, JSUT card says uh, vintage is the king, which, yeah, hard to hard to doubt that. And uh, mm-hmm. hockey card official says Point is a beast. So there's some more uh, some more love for Point. Michael Ham, welcome, says Trout was also one of one. That helped it versus old cards, which is... Con- which condition more, but yeah, the one one certainly did help it achieve that uh, $3.8 million sale price. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Um, okay. Let's talk about um, turning back the clock to 1989, Carvin. Uh, I'm going to let you uh, just kind of lead with it. And what, what, what's on your mind? So in 89, I became a dealer uh, set up at a flea market. I went to the shows back then it was called Kelly promotions in, in Toronto. You know, they always had an athlete. They actually had the, the first show that Eric Lindros went to, and that was uh, Mayhem uh, in 1990, uh, right, right when Score came out, or before Score came out, I believe. But either way, back in 1989 or 1990, uh, we were all buying baseball cards. Jose Canseco's were $100. Mark McGuire's like $30 to Stephen for the, the Topps 87 and the Fleer, the, the Fleur 87 uh, Maguire's as well, I believe. Um, those cards were going for top dollars. And for some reason, I didn't know why the Topps 85 wasn't a big card. Because maybe it was Team USA at that time. But everyone was chasing those 87 Fleur cards. Uh, and, you know, Ken Griffey Juniors were going for like $25. Meanwhile, in hockey, a Brett Hull rookie in 89, 88-89, OPG hockey was selling for 50 cents. Boxes of 88-89 were selling for like, 13 to 15 dollars a box canadian so thus what happened a bunch of u.s dealers and i I still remember all those guys coming in from michigan uh not so much buffalo it was more michigan and boston all these guys from boston were coming in from new england area and just buying up every single bread hall they went to the show and clean up all the rookies so bread hall rookies were all cleaned out patrick wall rookies were cleaned out mario lemieux I don't know why I say Mario. He's, his name is actually Mario Lemieux in, in Canada, but in the U.S., everyone says Mario. Says tries to correct me on that. So because of Super Mario Brothers. That's right. Or you know, just Mario Mario. It doesn't matter to me. <laughs> the tomatoes, tomatoes. Um, it, 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 they were buying up all the hockey cards, and then all of a sudden, Brett Hull went from fifty cents a card up to six dollars, and up to ten dollars, and then twenty dollars in a matter of less than a year. So that's why I said like the influx of other collectors outside of Canada at that point really drove up the marketplace. And I, I start with 89 just because of Brett Hall. Uh, 89.90 was the beginning of the junk wax with, you know, the whole Joe Sackick, uh, Craig Janney, all those rookies. Uh, but with, with this 88.89. Benoit Hogue. Benoit Hogue, yeah. Yeah. John Cullen. There's, there's, a, there's a bunch of them. Uh, Crick McLean is another one. Uh, so King. All these, all these cards prior to that, uh, whether it was Patrick Waugh, Patrick Waugh's second year, uh, even Gretzky's, they were buying up and they were just cleaning out every single dealer at the shows, the, the U.S. marketplace. Uh, then then let's go back to what I was saying with 0506 Cup versus Exquisite. Exquisite, when LeBron first hit, it was like $2,300 a card for the Exquisite rookies. Then it dropped to 1900 Then when Crosby came out, it was like 2400 It was higher than LeBron. And I was like, I wanted to buy a cross because I missed out on LeBron. I was like, okay, I saved my money. He's going to be like 
1500 because LeBron's at 2300. No, it was higher than LeBron and it never dropped. I was anticipating that first drop, how LeBron dropped to like 16, 1700, 1800. No, Crosby never dropped. He just went shooting up. It went to like over 3K the next the next year. I'm like, oh, that's my chance. I'm not going to be able to buy a Crosby. I want to buy like two Crosbys. That's what's my goal. Now I just paid a ton more than that now. Yeah. <laughs> I should have bought it back then. But with that being said, Crosby was outperforming because it was an influx at that point uh, from the basketball, baseball, football collectors all buying hockey because they missed out on 0304 Exquisite. So now they're buying into hockey, which, by the way, is called to a lot of the non-hockey collectors it was called exquisite light because it was a little bit cheaper than exquisite and everything limited logos signature patches it's, it's all the same names so and that's by design by the way you mentioned when the crosby cup first came out at 2600 i purchased the third copy to appear on ebay back in 2006 i think i paid 20 $2,850, something like that. And uh, and like you, I was thinking, well, maybe, you know, is it going to go down in value? Should I wait? And I thought, no, I better just grab one. I no longer own it. I've, I've, I've actually owned five different Crosby Cup out of 99 RPAs in my life. I okay. bought five and I've sold all five. And of course, I'd love to have them all back right now, but it, it's just nice to know that I've actually been able to own 5% of that, uh, of that print run over the years. Mm-hmm. But yes, they, they came out about 2,600 and it's just been up and up and up since then. And it's never really slowed down. Where, but whereas the young gun has seen kind of more ups and downs throughout his career, you know, where he had that one season where he, I don't know if he took the whole season off. I don't remember if he missed most of it. You know, his cards started to to relax a little bit and Ovechkin's became a bit more valuable. They've kind of been doing this for a long time and they're still doing this. You know, it's still, there's, it's still happening with the future watch auto the young gun and i think with the cup it's just such a rare card now that you know there's not this race isn't happening anymore with the cup because they just they sell so infrequently it's like either card could sell and and sell for that new price it's just whatever's available at the time okay uh there was a question about uh sorelli uh thoughts on anthony sorelli for the tampa bay lightning i remember in my daily fantasy uh pools last year i was taking him all the time because he was super cheap and getting a lot of points i i don't i don't know i I don't really know much about the guy other than he gets points um they're so deep there in tampa bay that's the thing uh is there going to be room for him to 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 be a guy who's who who is like investable if that's what you're really asking i don't know i'm gonna stick with the i don't know on that but let's see what carvin has to say about anthony sorelli of the tampa bay lightning so when when we look at uh, a lot of the stats there's there's a lot of players that just get great stats and they don't get a lot of love in any sport. And, you know, Sorelli has that opportunity that become, go to the next level, but we just don't know. Like, you know, a guy like Brian Bellows didn't get a lot of love or Steve Larmer. These guys were like great hockey players at the time. Um, the one guy that was kind of similar to them was Mike Bossy. He did get a lot of ho- hockey love. So it, it really depends on his, always look at a, a person's character too, the impact on his community, because when you are, they're doing a lot for the community, people will start PCing you too as well. So that that plays into it. And then longevity is, is always a, a factor too. So I, I can't really have a lot of comments on Cirilli. Um, if I had to pick one outside of Braden Point and Steven Stamkos, it would be Vasilevsky. And part of the reason why I like Vasilevsky is he's a great goalie. But also when I went to the draft in Pittsburgh in 2012, 
He was the most personable player, most grateful player. He came into the room, um, met up all of us, like gave us bro hugs, shook our hands. He goes, thank you, thank you, thank you very much. He didn't even speak any English, but that's all he could spoke. But he kept on, he went up to all 13 of us and did the same thing. We're like, wow, that guy is so energetic. This gets us all excited. And we all wanted to collect his cards afterwards. That's, yeah. those are factors. You know, people that are very, very personable, great community leaders, uh, reach out to fans, sign autographs, people start PCing you and that creates their popularity too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it, I think, you know, it's important that these guys are, it sounds to me like with Vasilevsky that he was humble. He, he exhibited some humility with you guys and right. that's what I like to see in an athlete. And that endears us to an athlete. I feel, especially when you get to know, they you always say you don't want to meet your heroes because they're going to disappoint you. Right. Yeah. But in the case of it's the opposite when you meet a guy who isn't your hero and you're so impressed with their personality and their level of humility when they could be arrogant because of their status as professional athletes making a lot of money that sort of thing you can almost be they can become a hero to you in that moment and then you can go collect them so i really think you're you're really on point when you say you want to watch a player for how they are in their communities how they are how how, the, how their charisma is how they interact with with fans, media, what are you hearing about them? You're, you're going to find better value in those players as a collectible if they are, if they are that way. Let's uh, Terry fortune is a big Bobby Orr and Wayne Gretzky fan. He was uh, one of the entrants in the inaugural sports cards, live fantasy hockey pool, which we had on Wednesday night live on the channel. He wants to know Carvin, did you design property of now for anyone who's watching who doesn't know what a property of is a property of is like a case hit that you may or may not get in a case of the cup and it's not a it they're one of they're all one of ones and it's nice that they've kept them as one of ones and they basically have the name the name uh st the stamping of the name on the shaft of the stick is kind of removed from the stick and embedded in the card and it's called property of I love them. I think they're amazing cards. Carvin, can you let us know? Did you did you come up with a concept? Did did you design design is a design isn't the right word because yeah. you're a designer. You're a yeah, product. Let me, let me go over what, what I did. Um, so I know the lot of people are like, oh, I love this design. I love that design. I, I'm not a designer. We had graphic designers for that. Look at, at these card companies, you want the best people that does their job properly right i'm a card collector so i'm not going to be able to say oh well we want this type of foil like I'll, I'll say specify which foil i want but how much the foil is and how much the coverage is is, is really up to the designers you know you got to have some freedom for the graphic designers to design the card too if you make it restrictive then they have no creativity then they're not going to enjoy their job so more or less that's why i use the nickname the architect on hobby insider before and I, I i really just do the set outline so i come up with all the inserts the number of guys which type of guys that we want to feature on solicitation packaging uh whether there's an autograph whether we're using an autograph sticker slash patches memorabilia jerseys stick cards so we come up with a concept we get the p l's to work uh and then how we construct it in terms of what we call forms so it could be like 10 different sheets that we print so we we give that we give the specifications, all the foil that we want, what patches, what size of patches to the designers, and they they create that design. Now we do come up with an overall theme. So we say, hey, we want to see like maybe a white color background or maybe a black color background, um, those type of things, uh, and have a, a central theme that should go across the entire set. We don't want something that's completely different from one card to the next in one set. Now, going back to property, Oz, this idea was actually 
startup when I first went to Upper Deck because uh, in 2002, I believe, we did our first bat cards, the bat barrel cards. So when I saw those, I'm like, well, whoa, have the name, right? So um, there's there's a lot of like ideas that went through my mind. And some of these ideas are from collectors. Some of these ideas are from people that I worked with or even, you know, different just random people are uh, to say some people are complaining about white color patches. So when you look at signature, uh, sorry, uh, exquisite oh, scriptus watches, scriptus watches are both exquisite in the cup. The reason why I did that was because tell, you know, Carve. Yeah. Just tell what a scripted swatch is for people who okay, may not scripted know. Swatches is an autograph that's featured on top of a game use patch or a photo shoot patch in the case of the rookie. So it's off the patch that we cut up and the signature is on top of it. So the reason why I came up with that is that a lot of collectors complain. Oh, I got diaper patches. I got one color patches. I'm like, well, why not make them collectible and having an autograph? Now, here's something that I was actually going to go out and buy some of these cards. But the first time I ever did it was in a product in 0102 called the Mass Collection. And it was called Auto Patches, just simply Auto Patches. But they were actually signed on the game used patch. You had Cujo, you had Patrick Ball, I believe, Martin Brodeur that signed them. And a lot of people didn't know that that script swatches didn't even work in Mask. And I brought it into Exquisite, and then it was a big hit. Now, going back to property ofs, I have a funny story about property ofs. And you guys can get a chuckle. Initially, the reason why when I was doing it, I was like, OK, Gretzky. So I wanted Gretzky to be part of the set. And a wooden, usually he was always a wooden stick that you can acquire. Um, and I said, you know what? It's a shaft stick and it's Gretzky. So I wanted to call it shaft of greatness. <laughs> and then everyone's like, you can't call it shaft of greatness. I'm like, why not? I go, it's Gretzky. And they're like, no, you cannot call it shaft of greatness. It's all right. I understand. <laughs> Maybe I was just trying to do it to get a chuckle out of it. You're everyone. making me blush here, Carve. Come on. <laughs> so, um, so anyways, uh, someone said, well, didn't you say you want to do property of? I go, I don't really recall saying that, but that's a great name, property of. So we changed it to property of. So yeah, it was it was something that uh, was always in the back of my mind uh, in terms of doing as soon as I saw the bat barrel. And especially when we did a Babe Ruth bat barrel and that bat barrel card sold for $20,000, get the Babe Ruth bat on the sales for like 10 grand at the time. So I was like, man, you cut up a piece of the bat, it sells better on a two and a half by three and a half than the actual bat itself. That's craziness, right? Um, even then, no. as a collector, I didn't. Well, but back then, I, I didn't even think that would that could be possibly happen. So, but as soon as I saw that, I said, "That's it. We're buying sticks and I'm doing it." I've know. never thought it's crazy. You know, you hear comments from people all the time, especially on you know message boards and Facebook, saying, "Oh my God, the RPA with a piece of patch the size of a quarter sells for twenty thousand. You can get a whole game used jersey for five thousand. And I always say, I don't collect game used jerseys. I wouldn't pay a thousand for it, but I'd happily pay more than that for the card. I, I collect cards. Card collectors don't really care what a, you know, unless they collect both, don't really care what a, a whole game used jersey sells for or what you could buy it for. We collect cards. It's a, they're much more easy to transport, to, to display all that sort of thing. But anyway, just a, just a, a comment there. I want to say hello to Rodman. Thank you for joining us for your Saturday routine, Rodman. Always a pleasure to have you. Uh, and I want to, uh, you're welcome, Hockey Cards official. Uh, Michael makes a comment, hockey guys are the nicest athletes from any sport. And we hear that over and over again. It's nice to keep having it kind of reinforced and validated. Um, and uh, Ryan wants to know, did you ever meet uh, Joe McGinley, best, most humble star player ever? Do you have any, do you have a quick story about Joe McGinley at all, Carvin? Sure, I have stories about all hockey players. 
I met Jerome uh, a few times, uh, once uh, when we were doing signings, um, and another time at a, a All-Star Game event, I believe, with uh, Wyclef Jen. Um, he's, he's a really easygoing guy. It, it, just, it just amazes me because, you know, obviously he's, he's, uh, he's African-American or African-Canadian, I guess you can call it, the, the, more, the most politically correct term, I guess, African-Canadian. But he has a hardcore Canadian accent. I just can't get over it when I hear him because, you know, I don't really hear that hardcore Canadian accent too much in Toronto. But when you go to like Saskatchewan or you know Alberta, you'll hear more of that hardcore. Canadian. He has that really hardcore Canadian accent, and I was just like, I couldn't get over it. But really easygoing guy. And and to the point, uh, to the person that mentioned it before, hockey players by far are the easy. You have the easiest access to. They're always friendly. They're always willing to shake your hand, have a drink with you. It's not like the other sports. Uh, the other sports, a lot of these athletes are like beyond celebrity stat or celebrity status, and you have no way of getting close to them. So hockey players. Uh, I've actually asked other sport uh, people that went to the Super Bowl or people went to the MLB All-Star game. I said, you got to come to the NHL All-Star game. After going to a couple, they're like, I'm hooked. I'm not even going to the Super Bowl. I'm going to the NHL All-Star game because the athletes are just a ball to be with. Yeah. So. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, to Jordan Riker wants to know, how do I keep my kids out of here? Uh, that's why this show doesn't start till 10 o'clock Eastern because my kids go to bed about uh, – uh, 7.30 Mountain, which is where I am. So we start this at 8 o'clock my time. But thanks for your concern, Jordan. No, they they, they don't come in, which is which is great. Matt, I like this comment. I'm going to get more hockey because of upcoming Skybox Metal Universe, and I cannot wait for that product myself. Mm-hmm. Um, Axonite says, 90s in certain rare parallels don't have the same value uh, I'm, uh, than other in any other sports. Thoughts on that? I think hockey, rare inserts and parallels from the 90s in hockey are are starting to wake up so don't sleep on them much longer is about all i can tell you they're 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 waking up now rodman has a question for you carbon what percentage of cards are held back from release and kept as backups or replacements there's really not a a huge amount of uh, cards are held back i know that a lot of people are like how does you know a card company have a numbered card in the background and and that wasn't in the pack out it wasn't a pack out um, let me let me explain something. When when we do uh, a, a, let's say a, a million packs uh, of cards, I know that sounds like a big number, but let's, I'm just taking a big number for that. Um, and, and typically, in any type of manufacturing company, you always have to factor in two percent waste. So if there's a thousand cases, you can't just go with a thousand cases and assuming that all thousand cards aren't damaged or made through the pack out. You have to have a thousand and twenty. So obviously, you're gonna have those twenty cards that trickle back if everything was perfect. Sometimes it isn't, and you need to actually, you probably have to cut production on cases of 2%. Sometimes the damage could be as high as 5%, and you don't have those number of cases. Or we also have, like, we call the QC cases, the cases that we open to make sure that the that everything's perfect. You can put sets together. We're getting a whole set of young guns and, and the upper deck case. Uh, and there's also cases that go to the leagues, too. The NHL gets some sampling of product the nhlpa gets sampling of product so it goes in various areas like a, a few cases but there is uh that those cars those case hits those box hits they all come back um before they weren't before they were just like thrown away and all that and then uh when when i was there we started talking about said so we want to claim that back and that way we can give our customer service those cars to swap over people to take care of them now in terms of the other stuff like say young guns Typically, you would keep like, you know, 25 to 50 young guns to make sure that if there's a damaged young gun, you can swap them out. Um, the frustrating part is that everyone wants a 9.5. 
or PSA 10, then if they feel it's a nine, they want to swap it out. And unfortunately, it's just impossible to manage that expectation. Uh, and once you guys ever take um, a look at the videos or if there's any B-roll videos of the manufacturing, you would be shocked that even cards even come back as a PSA 10 or a BGS 10 or a BGS 9.5. I was when I saw those. Well, good. It's a good topic, and it, it really segues nice into Amit's question here. So I'll throw this one up. He says, "Have you ever said that you'd like a design that would be hard to grade versus easy to grade, SP authentic versus other black border products?" As an example. Well, first, hello, Amit. It's been a long time since I've talked to you. I guess since the last expo, but I mean, you know, Amit goes back to the original HI days. So I want to, you know, acknowledge that. Uh, and then we had some. Um, some fun discussions, debates, and all that, and you know, it's always it's always a pleasure to talk to them. Um, sure, there's there's definitely you know white borders are, are definitely easier to grade than black borders, but when we when we're designing so many sets, you want to have some variety. You can't have every single set to be white border, and then it's easy to grade because of that reason. What what I truly feel is that I want to design something that I want to collect. And as a collecting mind, when I open a pack, I get excited about it. I'm not excited about a card like you know that's easy to grade, and I don't like the card. So first and foremost, you have to design an attractive card that attracts the collector to buy the card. And with that knowledge, there's also not every single, I mean, maybe today markets change, but not everyone sends them to grading. Some people just like to put them in the binder, or put them in a the top load, and that's it. Honestly, I don't care for grading. I mean, that's just me in general. And I can show you examples of how many cards I have raw grade review like from five years ago. I still have them in the raw grade review, you know, sticker versus uh, slabbed. It, it, it's just a matter of to each person's liking. I like my cards in top loads or in binders. It, it's just much more consistent. Uh, grading, you know, you're going to have PSA, you're going to have SGC, you're going to have PSA new label versus old label, BGS with black labels and, and, and silver and gold. For me, I like everything really consistent. Yeah. And that's the way, you know, when we look at some of the designs, and I discussed it multiple, multiple times on IG, on Instagram, and also with you, Jeremy, I love symmetry. It, it, it really bothers, bothers me when I see a card that's sticking out in a graded slab outside of my top loads, and I'm like, it just feels uncomfortable. Yeah. So that's just the way I am. That's what, how my mind works. Maybe not everyone else. Everyone looks at, wow, all the slab cards are huge values. and. You know, if I'm a collector, I don't even care about value. I think people like like uniformity, like as you're saying. I know I I like uniformity, but I've, so I was pretty PSA uh, loyal. I still I still like their slabs, but sometimes you you got to buy a card for the card, and it might be raw, it might be in a in a mm -hmm. BGS slab or an SGC slab, and you just got to buy the card because you need the card. And at that point, the slab doesn't matter. You at least you know it's authentic, which is nice. Uh, another question we had for you, which is sort of, sort of similar here. It's a follow-up question from Brett Miles. He says, I've always wondered if secondary sales and popularity in the open market comes into play with future product development and concepts. You sort of alluded to it a, a, a few minutes ago, but anything you can add to, to just how closely are the manufacturing? I mean, you're no longer in the manufacturing game, but... Obviously, you know these people. You talk to them. I'm sure. How, how closely do they watch the secondary market, and how closely do they do they? To what degree do they take that information and use it when they're planning upcoming products? You always monitor the marketplace. I mean, once again, let me let me stress 
firstly, this is my opinion, not the opinion of the people in the companies now, but you always monitor secondary market sales. Obviously, um, when, when you're looking at creating new concepts, new ideas, new inserts, and seeing, you know, due to the scarcity of the insert versus demand, and you see that it works, then you're gonna bring it back. You have to monitor the secondary market to know that that works. I mean, it's, you know, scriptus watches. It didn't work in uh, mass collection, but I brought it back in exquisite. And, you know, obviously the, the scope was much more bigger and it's LeBron and obviously it hits, right? So so they went from patch, auto patch to to scriptus watches. And then, you know, it's still being produced today by, by Upper Deck. So, you know, you have to look at it. So it could, but obviously the idea maybe misplaced sometimes then you can place it somewhere else or if you have a crosby rookie year and it has that you know allure of that rookie and everyone's chasing it then that creates that brand equity so it depends on the placement the idea then execution to see it work it work but a lot of times we have to monitor it there's there's a lot of 90s inserts because i was heavily influenced by 90 inserts basketball and i put it in lots of variety of 90 or sorry a 2000 product like i put it on peachy so Opichi um, in 08, 09, I believe, or 06, 07, I can't remember the year exactly. There's something called Micro Etch. I don't know if anyone remembers that. They were numbered out of 100. They had a foil, etch foil surrounding the player instead of the, the, the background of the photo. And that was all because of Totally Certified. Totally Certified had that design, that etched foil, and I was trying to mimic it in Opichi and see how the response was. The response didn't do greatly. So, you know, you sometimes you put it on the shelf and maybe bring it back another another time so you have to monitor secondary market values to 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 notice and and also on top of it you also look at rois so if you get an autograph with joey mullen and he's costing you 25 dollars and he sells for five probably best not to use them as much in, in upcoming sets you know let them you know be away for a couple of years and then bring them back and then then his value goes up yeah and you know we we know that guys from upper deck for example are monitoring the market they've you know billy's been on the show grant sandground's been on the show they've they've talked about monitoring the discussions that go on on hobby insider which if you don't know is probably one of the more frequented locations on the internet for hockey card talk and um so you know they're on there monitoring it all the time to see what's going on what people like to get the good feedback with with the bad feedback and there's no there's no shortage of the latter that's for sure. sure. But, um, but as you said earlier at the beginning as you kicked off the show and saying you know we got to give these guys some credit too so I appreciated hearing that as well. Mm -hmm. uh, Terry Terry makes a funny comment he'll never look to look at his track <laughs> of greatness the same well, the same. Well, Terry, let's just by the way if you don't if you can't look at the same way and you gotta get rid of them I'm a buyer. Right yeah, there you go. There you go. I only have, I've got a few uh, property of in my collection. Um, Charles says, uh, Carvin, what was the most fun insert set that you ever helped design or make, design and make? You know, they're, they're like, they're like your kids, right? You have to love every one of them. Yeah. And then to be honest, like when I, when I created the cup, it was an easy, it was easy. I hate to say it, it was easy because it was like autograph patch shot and plus i had the template from exquisite i added a bunch of stuff like uh, dual honorable numbers noble numbers um actually i put a lot more into the cup than i did for exquisite because the price point was was different and we all know that the resale values the secondary market values even though crosby was outselling lebron we don't have a michael jordan we don't have a kobe bryant wayne gretzky doesn't sell for what michael jordan sells for so you know those are the factors why the price point was different um and plus we that's why we called it differently because we 
preached to the NHL that the cup was going to be the ultimate set name. That would be the, the creme de la creme. Mm-hmm. So, so they wanted to keep the cup. And to be honest, just uh, between you and me, I kept it called the cup because I wanted it at $350 SRP US versus 500. Right. So it, it had it been called exquisite the next year, they said, well, go 500. Right. So, so I was actually kind of protecting the Canadian uh, collectors because of the price exchange the exchange because 350 at the time was about 500 Canadian. So I wanted to protect that exchange rate. Yeah. Um, but with that being said, I actually have more fun doing something that's like Opeechee because Opeechee is something that, you know, it's, it's something that I grew up with. So you, you bring, you know, my mind goes crazy. I'm like, oh, what, what Opeechee cards do I remember? You know, there was the highlight cards. So the 74, 75 quad leaders or the coach cards uh, or the 72, 70, I believe the 72, 73 tops, red and green bordered cards, yeah. you know, and, and the 75 with the quizzes on the back and, and the halftone browns on there. So, I mean, I go back and forth and just remembering all my childhood memories. And those are the ones that, really just nostalgia comes goes crazy it just drives you nuts and and I, I probably bit off more than i can chew when i started doing one buyback for every box i mean i was searching through the seven c's not for the white whale but just to get opichi decent common cards or common i mean decent shape semi-star cards just to put in there and we put like about 10 gretzky rookies in there i mean imagine opening a box in 0607 opichi and getting a, a wayne gretzky rookie in there yeah yeah, I remember you walking the, the the aisles at Expo looking for cards for that. I, I sold right. you a stack myself that ended up in that product, which is, it's always cool when the guys from the card companies come by your booth at a show, buy cards from you that end up in products. That, that was right. that, that was a real eye-opener when that first happened. I wanted to suggest uh, Mr. LAGN's comment here. We're not going to talk about this tonight, but we I am working on bringing on someone from Upper Deck who uh, will be addressing that in the future in terms of the rounded corner issue on some cards. But that was... That was an issue uh, from their uh, third-party um, printing vendor. In any event, uh, I wanted to also mention uh, we have Irving in the house. Irving, welcome. As always, great to see you, buddy. He says, what products do you miss building that would have a major impact in today's collecting community, Carp? You got uh, something to say to that? Uh, what products do I miss building that? I'm not, I'm not sure if I miss building products that much. Uh, I mean... Like right now, it's all it's all fond memories, but when you know, I think Jeremy realizes that when we were doing hand packing, he was invited to a hand pack because he wanted to do a database of patches. He didn't realize how much work was involved. I think I think uh, immediately afterwards he goes, "I'm never going to do this again." Or this is like he almost broke his back trying to take photos and watching us pack cards. And then I think you know, six months later, you look upon upon that experience like, man, that was kind of fun. So I think you know, stepping away for a while allows me to say. I got a lot of fond memories. I got a lot of fond stories I got to share with everyone. There are times when I get frustrated because I'll look at something like limited logos in 0506 and I remember those discussions and that was not a, that's not a fond memory. Someone asked me, said, hey, do you want to buy a Sidney Crosby limited logo? I said, hell no. And just because it's the memories that it brings, it was <laughs> they're not good memories for me. Um, but I do miss building products. And, you know, I as I told some people, I said, when I build products, I don't put everything out in the product, like all these crazy ideas I have. I still have a bunch of ideas that never came to fruition. Uh, in fact, one of the main drivers is exquisite that no one even knew. One of the concept cards never even made it out to any product at all. So that's from 0304 exquisite. 
Well, maybe we'll see some of those in the future if you're uh, if you're offering your consultancy services to Upper Deck, Community <laughs> Tops, that kind of thing, Leaf, right. that'd be cool to see. Let's move on. We have a question from Rodman. For both of us, we'll start with you, Carve. Because what is your long-term strategy with your collection? Sell at a certain point or pass on to your children or grandchildren? So I, I'm, you know what, I'm, I'm not good at practicing what I preach. That's the first thing I'll say. Um, what I would say is that for any collectors, and depending on where your starting point is, you should always have a destination or a goal that you want to reach. So number one, what is your what is your goal? Is it PCing Michael Jordan? I know Robin, you you collect, I believe that collects Dennis Robin and Michael Jordans and all high-end inserts. So if that's your goal, then you got you should be disciplined and keep to it. But with that being said, doesn't mean that you can't acquire other stuff to collect assets. And I, I mentioned this yesterday on um, one of the podcasts. I said it, it's always good to acquire stuff like a baseball team. You want that franchise player. Maybe one of these prospects will be that franchise player. But these prospects that you collect, you can always trade for a franchise player later too. So you collect assets. You build up your your card, cardboard wealth. And you can trade it to acquire the stuff that you want, especially the white whales that you want. So I think it's it's really important for us, for me, to be very discipline and focus on that what that is for me for my daughter um i i want to give her the crosby rookie so that one is not for sale and then afterwards if i can upgrade it i'll upgrade it um with a better patch one that is corresponds to jeremy's database which i have to give heavy kudos to about the crosby's we can always you know check if that patch is original patch or at least from 16 years ago on uh, your database and that's great reference I, I but I haven't updated that in over ten years, by the way. So what's there is uh, is, is all that will ever be there, right? Um, but at least we can cross reference anything that's out there. That it's on there, it's on there. Uh, second of all, uh, I think uh, you know exquisite cards. I do have an exquisite Bosch rookie. If one day I hit the Mega Millions, then I'll look at buying a, a LeBron rookie from. And I have a lot. I have a lot of, I guess, community friends or exquisite friends that have LeBron rookies. And maybe they'll have give me off of that one chance I can buy one off them. And you know, if I ever have that, then those are the two cards for my daughter. That's all she needs. Yeah. You know, I don't think there's anything else. Maybe I was thinking of maybe Elias Pedersen, maybe Luca, because she was born in 18. And Elias Pedersen or Elias Pedersen, that's the name, right? Not Elias. Elias, yeah. Elias yeah, Pedersen. Um, he's a rookie in 1819 and he has the same birthday as my daughter, so he makes perfect sense. I'm just not a Canucks fan, that's all. Yeah, but, I think he's going to be a great player. Uh, yeah. Mark, Lee, Mark Lee says, he says, uh, oh, where'd it go? You went past it. Sorry. Here. He goes, I thought I was getting the Crosby after all these years, but your daughter wins. Yeah, no, no <laughs> doubt. You, Mark. Thanks for giving up on it. Back to Rodman's question. I'll just try and answer this quickly. Uh, Rod, is a Rod, is a Rodman collects Jordans, and he has, okay. I mean, I, I've seen his collection. It's phenomenal. It, it's an amazing, amazing collection. Um, but for me, my collection, I mean, I think about it all the time. What am I going to do with it? I, you know, I don't, I pass it on to my kids if they want it. So we'll make that determination later. If they don't want it, if they're not interested in it, you know, it's going to go for sale, hopefully uh, in my final years. It'll, I've always kind of considered myself, I'm building up this collection so that I can enjoy my twilight years doing the card show circuit and selling off my collection. And then with those proceeds, that money will go into my estate and go to my, go to my, my kids for sure. Uh, for their education, their houses, whatever, whatever it is. But one, one thing, one thing I would I would like to say to all collectors, and 
you know, I, I know that, um, you know, people post things on Instagram and I, I try to, when I post on Instagram to tell a story, whether it's about the athlete, about the journey of collecting. And I think that's really important. Like, you know, each card, like it's like the 8 million stories in New York or whatever, or whatever the case is, everyone has a story. Every card has a story, whether you open it in a pack as a kid, whether you open it and you, you weren't expecting it, it's a huge hit in, in your, in your possession or how you trade it up to get that card. And I think, storytelling is what we all enjoy we just enjoy you know listening to how what people have to do to get that card and i and i i, I want to basically preach to all the instagram posts and say hey tell a story about tell us why you want that card you know especially if you're a collector i understand investors wise or fund managers or fractional you know uh, the companies that's different but for collectors tell us why you want that card and tell us how you got it you know and, and yeah the only thing I'll say, sometimes we want cards because we just like the way they look. We like the player and we, right. you know, we, we like the rarity. Sometimes it's not that but interesting. Say your, that. Sure, say it. That, that's fair. Your story of why you wanted the cup Crosby RPA is one of the more interesting stories possible because of your history with that product. But I hear what you're saying. Tell yeah. the story. Yeah, I, I think that's good. I wanted I want to address another question that we got from Instagram. It came from hockey underscore card underscore official, who I think was watching earlier with us, may still be. And you you alluded to it. I just want to make sure we do answer it because I told them we would talk about it. Was what influenced your ideas for the cup and exquisite in those early days? What were your what were your influences? Now you did mention 90s basketball inserts a little bit, but can you build on that at all? Sure. All right, so this is something that I bought, and I just recently bought a PSA 10 of this card. And, uh, Rodman, I, I apologize. I thought you collected because you're called Rodman Collector, I believe. So. That's his, his name is Rodman. Right. No, I thought I, I thought he was uh, collecting Rodman. Uh, I did too, until I realized his name is actually Rodman. <laughs> yeah, I apologize for that. Um, but here's a card that I bought, okay? I, I do have a whole set still. I showed it on Instagram uh, about a year ago or, or less than a year ago. Um, this is the Michael Jordan master collection so the idea of the etched foil you'll see that in 94 sp 93 sp or 94 sp and also in black diamond and that's the the technology i really wanted to bring back in exquisite so that's that was the inspiration for the base set was was really the whole black diamond but more of this michael jordan look so i wanted a white i wanted a, a white base white background card with some black in it um also added i included all the technology the basically full board in terms of cost you can do whatever you want also i asked for some sort of contemporary look because i was influenced by a movie called pollock which is a biography with ed harris uh on jackson pollock and that's like man i i can't believe art becomes like that because I, I wasn't into art um how it was like painted with you know the scribbles and the paint drops and how that was a mistake uh, and I was like, man, I, I got it. And you'll see through a lot of the sets that I built, I asked for that kind of design. Like there's one called Fresh Ink in Fleur Ultra. And all I said was I just went paint drops like Fresh Ink, right? Just like Jackson Pollock. So that's why on Exquisite, you had a contemporary design with the paintbrushes, like the incomplete uh, paintbrushes, like the distressed look like in furniture, distressed look jeans. That was kind of in, but I, I guess I asked for it on, on, on Exquisite. And outside of that, so there was something that happened in 2001. I think we discussed it. We actually had a trivia question. In 2001 football, uh, SP football, uh, it was kind of struggling after 2000. It was a bad draft. Uh, and you know, 2001, they had to revitalize the brand. And they said, well, why don't we do rookie patch autographs? 
right? And and I know that there was some discussion you had with some other uh, podcasts that said, well, the first one wasn't exquisite, but the first true rookie card that was an auto rookie auto patch was exquisite. And I know that in 2001, I was new at the game. In 2001, 2002 basketball, they said, Carbon, you have to put the rookie auto patch into SPA. I said, no, I refuse to. And I was kind of surprised because all the senior VPs were saying, no, you have to. And then I think my senior VP who was, I was reporting to basically said, look, Carbon's just been here for like six months. Let him do his craft. Just if he feels he's confident that he can build a good SPA brand, then let's do it. So that idea was already there, the RPA. I did it in ultimate as a variation, so it's not the true rookie card. Uh, I did it in other sets. That's once again, it's not the true rookie card, but the true rookie card was the first one was exquisite, and I knew that as soon as I saw that chosen one Sports Illustrated magazine, I said, "That's it. That's that's the year we're going to hit hard with a product that's going to be high end and RPAs." So that's what the inspiration is from. It's actually from that magazine when I saw the chosen one. Makes a lot of sense. I want to do one more question. I got on Instagram it came from at goat.sportscards. He wanted to know why in as far as game used RPAs go in 0506, we had we had three game used RPAs out of the 90 of them. Sidney Crosby, Alexander Ovechkin and Miko Koivu. He goes right. on to say, why Koivu, but not McDavid, who was 10 years later. So things right. change. But can you speak to that for a couple minutes? Sure. Um, so I, ideally, we'd love to use game use for everything. There's, there's a couple of factors. One is cost. Obviously, game use jerseys are extremely expensive for the rookies. Uh, it depends on what team they play for. And second of all, it's, it's also if we use game use jersey, you're going to get a lot of one color patches, as we saw in terms of Crosby acquired. It's a one color patch uh, with, with auto, sorry, photo shoot. Photo shoot or yeah, photo shoot worn jerseys. You can have more variety, more jerseys, and you can have offer more colors. So in the McDavid issue, I I'm, I can't speak on behalf of Upper Deck because I wasn't there, um, but probably they couldn't acquire a game used jersey at the time. Hold on a second, I got get some water. Go for it, go for it. <clears throat> but with Crosby and Ovechkin, uh, we managed to get a game used jersey. So we wanted to put it into the cup. And I think that's ideal. The, however, just remember, when you're producing a cup, it takes about two months to cut the jerseys, get them into the cards, and then the players have two months to sign them. So that's four months. And factor in hand packing and everything, roughly about another three weeks. So five months before even the cup coming out, you have to have the game used jerseys in hand. And also factor in cost. Like yeah. photo shoot worn jerseys, it's all game ready jerseys. They cost about four hundred dollars a piece. Uh, a game used jersey of McDavid, you're probably paying like thirty five thousand dollars, right, for a rookie year jersey, mm. and you're gonna get a lot of single color patches. And by all means, everyone thinks, oh, the card companies are greedy and all that. No, the guys who control the PLs are the guys that are in the product development team, like myself and Grant, and we have marching orders. They give us a percentage that we have to be at, and we want to hit that percentage or of slightly better. We don't go there and say, oh, we're going to go 50% better. It doesn't help us. I mean, we want the product to perform, right? So uh, I think it's it's a matter of just acquiring the jerseys and, and getting it into people's hands. If I had to say you get a photo, a game used jersey in McDavid and get sticker autos on the cup, would you say that's acceptable? Probably not. If you get 
a game used jersey and it's a redemption are you is that acceptable probably not either so you know there's there's concerns we have time constraints the availability of product and the cost yeah okay let's go on i got a question here from stephen ho and basically it comes down to the last sentence carvin where he says uh, the second last, you know, the packaging for cup made it d difficult for for conditions. What what kind of went into the deciding factors for how these things were packed in with those felt uh, borders into oh. the box and the tin? What can you? What, and Stephen Ho, by the way, was on the show back in August, I believe it was. He also owns the finest copy of the B, of the Crosby RPA. He has the BGS ten copy that he bought at public auction. What can you tell us a little bit about the packaging and uh, and and how did you guys sort of reconcile that? You know, does the packaging damage the cards? I think I think it's it's overstated in, in terms of the damaging on the cards. Um, it, it's just that I, I I understand everyone's perception. So first, uh, it comes in a tin and it comes in a little tiny box inside the tin. Uh, with foam so it's a box so 0506 especially because later on we came out with the the cards being surrounded by the foam with the finger holes to prevent that perception of the damaged cards i mean the reality is that a lot of these cards get damaged because number one they're thick cards so they can get damaged at the printer when they're cutting it and we're not talking about huge damages if it's huge damages it's all qc we remove them we produce new cards for them um, and then all these cards are has to be sent out to the players to get signed. I mean, all you have to do is look at Vlad Guerrero signing his autograph cards and saw how he was handling those cards. You know, people were kind of freaking out that he was throwing cards in a box. Well, that happens. Uh, I can tell you stories of you know players, some angry players, and the box, the cards were all damaged. And we can go through that another time. Uh, it was a, it was a trade that happened that pissed off one of the players. <laughs> so, um, with with that being said, it's it's. You know, going to the players, them pack, them signing it, patching it back up, and sending it back to us uh, are concerns. The other factor about cup was that it's also a silver grayish edge with a white edge, so that factors into it. Anytime that there's a color edge, we'll we'll have more damages. Um, if a cut, if a cup car was miscut and it's a little bit oversized, yes, it'll be will be concerns. But one of the ways that we kind of prevent damages happening to the key cards is that we don't put the key cards in the bottom part of the box. We don't put them on the top part. We would try to at least put a base card on top or maybe a base card or a redemption card on the bottom. Um, ideally not a redemption card because we when when you hit a big card and also a redemption card, you're like ended on a sour note. So the last card you see. So um, ideally base card and base card top and bottom or a jersey card in the bottom. That, that type of idea that, you know, we kind of said, hey, let's do it this way so that if there is a damage or something like that over years, that that card is not the most expensive card in the pack. So. Okay. Um, we mentioned earlier the database that I had built back in the late 2000s. And uh, Brett's asking, you know, how long do you think it's going to be before we see a database on high-end cards? Uh, and I think, I think what he might be getting at is like, produced by the manufacturers. He's asking, is it in, an inevitability? And I mean, I think we'd love to see it as an inevitability, but you know, I've asked people from Upper Deck and Panini on the show a couple times, and we don't really get an answer like it's gonna happen. It, it seems like it's too cost prohibitive is what, uh, or it, it seems to be the general sentiment. I mean, I did it, I did it with you at, you know, for 0809 the Cup, I photographed every patch card in that set at the Packout facility, so I know it can be done, I, I did it. Um, 
So I get, I kind of want to take this question and, and change it a little bit to number one, do you think, I like the question, is it something that can happen, but do you think it's necessary? Do you think it's something that should happen? And do you think it will? And what we're talking about, sorry, sorry, Carve, just for everybody's, what we're talking about is a, is a, a photo database where collectors can reference to look and see if a card that is a valuable rookie patch auto has the same patch in it that the company manufactured or was a one color patch swapped out very carefully for a nicer, more interesting multicolor patch to increase the value of the card. We call it patch faking. And right. it, 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 it's augmenting the card from its original condition. It's, it's a no-no, it's a faux pas. We don't want it, that shouldn't be happening in the hobby. And one way to, to protect against it is for the card companies to have a database of images of all the cards they produce or all the, let's say even the RPAs. Now back to the question, Carbon, what do you think? Should it happen and will it happen? I, well, I think we, we talked about this back when you're doing the photographing, right? My There's concerns I have on both sides. Every decision has a pro and con. Um, the, the con for me is that if you know that there's a four-color McDavid rookie and yours is, or, and you see a lot of one-color, everyone's going to wait for that four-color to show up. And not everyone is going to be as knowledgeable saying that that four-color is only two or three in the world, right? Obviously, we know that both the oil drop um, and in, in the case of the McDavid, I mean, Upper Deck had a database. If you go back to our blogs, they showed almost every single card of the McDavid card just for that reason. But here's the problem. When you do it for McDavid, everyone that's collecting the fifth best rookie or the sixth best rookie or the 13th best rookie, they're saying, hey, you're doing it for McDavid. Why can't you do it for this guy too? So it, it comes down to the request is almost unattainable because the time, yes, it's, can you imagine having a high def picture which takes up a lot of memory in your server of every single patch card that you ever made and yes i, I can see people saying well i just only want it for the cup cards but then the guys are going to say i want it for the ultimate patches the big patches I that's more important than the cup cards right so so the problem is that everyone's card is the most important their cards are the most important to them and keeping that database we looked at the cost of it it would cost probably in excess of close to a million dollars a year just to keep a database with the manpower and the server necessary to, to do it. So at that point, do you say, well, if you want to see your card, you can zoom into your card and you pay a fee to look at it. Well, no collector wants to pay a fee for that reference now. They're saying, hey, I paid for my packs. Why do I care? So it comes down to it brings up a lot of questions, a lot of extra cost, And I hate to say it, the cost those would be carried by the final price, right? It's not going to be, the company's not going to say, well, I'm just going to invest millions of dollars into a database. It's going to come down to the collectors paying for it. Yeah. Okay. No, thanks for the answer. We're, we're going to wind. We're, well, we got, we got some time left still, but I see we have lots of comments coming in. I want to just bring up Ryan Rome. Thanks for the comment. He says that it annoy you that upper deck keeps doing buyback rookies with signatures. For example, McDavid seems to have one done every year. So first of all, you know, I, I, I appreciate the question, Ryan, but I don't. What I don't like about it is that you say McDavid seems to have one done every year. I'd prefer you come with actual facts. Does he have one done every year, or has he had one or two done? Because that's a big difference here. So I don't want to. I don't want to uh, get into it too much. But um, as far as that goes, I think as long as they 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 leak them out into the hobby at a controlled and strategic, uh, you know. Uh, a planned and strategic sort of manner and fashion so as not to flood the market, then uh, no, it does not annoy me. Carvin, a quick comment? No, I mean, if it's as long as they're not doing the multiple of the same cards, right? 
like they're not doing the buyback young gun for out of 97 another one out of 25 out of 10. i mean that's a unique card i mean i, I love buyback cards so yeah fair courtside collectible says hey carve hey ken <laughs> <laughs> okay um we've got you know we've got some comments about the million dollars of course people you know of course there's going to be there's going to be sort of the uh the uh he said, she said, if you will, but uh, we're just going to leave that uh, conversation uh, where it was because Carvin is no longer working for these companies, so we don't need to debate that. Uh, kick down, yeah, talking <laughs> more of that. Um, okay, let's talk a little bit about, and I want to, I got to go back and well, find let me, let me go back on the million dollars that everyone's talking about. Just sure. remember, when I'm talking about a database, that's for one year and it has to be carried over. So you got to double your server size for that every single year triple it the third year quadruple it and obviously with more patches you're going to increase that server size so like the, the card companies don't have mainframes in their in their in their company now with cloud technology versus before when we didn't have cloud technology it's definitely different so I'm right a, i'm not a tech person so you guys would have looked at this probably right after I came down there, which was in 2009, right? Thinking, are we going to do it next year? Because, you know, Upper Deck saw me do it, being you and who and the team that was there. So um, well, we, we looked at it before then. We looked at it before then. It was just like, you know, because I, I actually had the, we had a security team and they were doing it. And the other factor is that it delays. So for the, for the patch cards, they actually did about three players. And we were a month and a half late sending out cards to people. So then we wouldn't get them back. So that that's a other issue too. And you can't delay product by three months just because we have to have images of all the cards, especially right. our time, right? No, you'll 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 hear it from the hobby uh in a quite a mm -hmm. quite a harsh manner. They are, you know, people already don't like how late the cup comes out if you had to push it back a couple more months or or right. whatever amount of time to take images, that would be just causing more problems. Rodman has a good question here. He says, do we know when Panini's exclusive NBA rights contract expires? Is there a slight chance top or up tops or upper deck? will try and get those rights back now that the market is booming. Uh, I mean, I don't know when it ends. Uh, it's for the foreseeable future was the comment that Panini made back a few years ago. I mean, there's always an opportunity for other companies to jump in, but uh, you know, let's, let's wait and see. I mean, I can't really comment on what's going to happen, and I'm not the NBA's or NBA PA, right? So I can't really uh, give you an opinion on it. I mean, I could tell you what I like to see happen, but at the same time, you know, you know, I think I think Panini has done a, a great job for what they what they have in, in terms of the NFL license and also the NBA license. Well, the word the word on the street is that the leagues only want to deal with one licensee per category, sports cards being a category. And that, that's the way it is. I, I brought up the point a couple of weeks ago that I thought, you know, things are a lot different now than they were last time these deals were negotiated, last time these deals were bid on. So the hobbies exploded, the leagues, if they haven't noticed yet, someone's going to tell them pretty soon and they're going to notice if there's ever, I believe if there's ever been an opportunity for there to be competition within each sport, now is the year or now and moving forward is the best opportunity for us to see more competition. Right. But then, you know, Rich Klein, who watches the show and was on Hobby Hotline last week, very, very sort of uh, aggressively just said, the leagues only want to deal with one licensee, full stop, end of sentence, etc." I still think that's a little short-sighted. I think that, hey, if there was ever a time, there's more money at stake now than ever. 
maybe it's worth it for the money to hire someone to manage the licensees. I, I, I think that um, the leagues has concerns. Obviously, we talk about competition. We talk about um, by doing so, but there are there are a lot of concerns about having multiple licensees. And I think as a collector, we always want to have choices. And I would like to have choices too as a collector. But also when you start looking at the business and managing the business, it's a lot different because you're having to appeal, appease both sides. One, there's always arguments between competitors, different licensees, you know, then there's also the fact that there's, you know, marketing dollars that have to be spent and who's the beneficiary of the marketing dollars. You know, there's, there's all these issues that are at hand and, you know, like, I mean, even when we at Upper Deck had the license with Tops and no longer FLIR, we would have to pick jerseys. We had to pick a whole team, like an all-star game. I get this jersey, you get this jersey. We have to draft jerseys. And that took a whole three days. That's that's a lot of work just for doing a, a draft on game use jerseys from the All-Star game. So I think those those are issues where they're like, oh, you know. Um, then, then of course, you know, if you look at NFL, you know, Madden has the rights, the exclusive rights to NFL, you know, the, the apparel, they all have exclusive partners. So, you know, I, I'm not I'm not sitting here that saying sitting here saying that won't happen. But at the same time, I mean, you know, you, you can always write to the leagues and say, hey, we like to see this happen or that happen if it's possible. And I'm sure when the time comes, Tops and Upper Deck and other card companies or potential new companies would submit, you know, their proposal. Right? And I think that's that's only fair that the leagues would actually review all proposals coming in. Mike Kohler makes a great po- comment here, too. He says, you know, especially if the leagues are losing money due to COVID, right? There, Here's an opportunity for them to uh, bring in some more revenue. I want to go back up, Carvin. There was a comment that came after we talked, after you mentioned the million dollars. Kickdown makes a comment saying, I'm going to photography school tomorrow if card companies think a database of 3,000 cards per set costs a million dollars. So because, Carve, you know, we say something like this and somebody gets this interpretation from what you said, which he totally missed the point of what you were saying. That's not what, I don't know where he got 3000 cards per set came from. That's not at all what you said. Do you want to take a second and just set the record straight before this particular viewer goes and tells all his friends what he thought he heard? No, it's okay. So let's say just like exquisite, right? There was 42 rookies, right? In in the set. Let's say it's 42 rookies. Typically I always pull out 42 cards, right? Cards. Before yeah. you get into that math, I'll just say the year that I did it, I went and photographed every patch card from one year of one product. It was 28,000 cards. It wasn't 3,000. It right. was 28,000 cards. So kick down and anyone else who heard it that way, you heard it wrong. You, you, I won't say you heard it wrong, but you're, there's more information than you know. So I just don't want anyone to walk away from this and go off and tell everybody the card companies aren't doing it because they don't want to pay. They think it's a million dollars to capture 3,000 photographs. I just want to make sure that we're not leaving anyone with that. Yeah, uh, please, with that. please. I mean, this is something that I discussed in privacy with with the com- with the company, right? And we actually investigated in terms of how much storage is, is required and how much work. It's not how about labor. How about human labor? Labor, like, labor is a big cost of it, right? So you're talking about four people working that make fifty thousand dollars a year, you know, and overtime costs, you know, and four people will not be able to achieve even coming close to getting sets done immediately, especially when you're looking at high def. And also it's all high def photos. So they had to have an SLR camera like you did, had a tripod and one card at a time moving into one card of 99 would cost at least one person a whole day to take photography. And that delays the process. So by all means, don't take the million dollars as in it's a database only. There's a lot of other costs involved too. 
It's the cost of labor. It's the cost of now we have to do FedExing overnight to players to get it signed, get it back. Do we do it before we send it, send it out for players or do we do it after sending out the players? So, so yeah, don't take the million dollars. I'm just saying that the cost was enormous and it was impossible to even put it on a server. We would have to buy a new server just for all that. Now, because of today, back in 2005 and 2006, 2007, there was no cloud service. Today, there are cloud servers and that could be a little bit more achievable. But what would you rather have? All this additional cost into it or you rather have content into the product. So, and there are ways to how to review the patches and be buyer beware. And there's and there are things that you know. I know Panini has some sort of security too. I don't want to sit here and give away all the secrets. What Panini does. I mean, it's something that you guys can talk to Panini about what they what they do. Well, you know, something else that came up with. I think it might have been Chris Barr from Panini, product manager, when he was on the show with me a few mm -hmm. months back. He mentioned that you know nowadays so many cards are pulled on camera and those videos are available on YouTube and elsewhere. So it's almost, it's, you know, even back in 2006, when I started my archive, you know, that was the hobby doing it to protect ourselves. And I'm not saying it's our responsibility. I do think the responsibility lies with the manufacturers to protect the future value of the cards that we spend good money on. I'll never, I'll never come off of that opinion, but in the absence of that, we as a hobby have the opportunity to document our cards and make those images public and all that. And especially, you know, it also puts a premium on knowing where your card came from. Did you see it come out on some, on a breakers channel? Did you, do you have that video? Can you attach that video to your card in some fashion? If you're going to sell it and show, Hey, here's the guy pulling it from the pack. Originally, that's a pretty cool feature to add to a card. There's, there's also the hobby, the hobby policing. So there's a lot of collectors. I'll tell you, that's probably not real. Right. I'll, 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 and I'll be honest, I'm going to, I will never disclose if a patch is real or not real. Right. I'll give you some ways of how you can find out perhaps it's real or not real. Just for one, one thing of note. Now this goes back to when I was working, but every Jersey that's being cut up or a photo shoot or game worn, they're all game ready jerseys, even if it's photo shoot. So if it's not game, if it's not the same material that's underneath the patch, or even, in fact, a lot of the patches aren't even the same material on a replica Swingman jersey or an NHL replica jersey with the actual game ready jersey. Then that gives you your answer. Yeah, we've seen we've seen patch, fake patches that came off a baseball cap, a smaller scale logo, right. that sort of thing. Right. Uh, Mike says, Jeremy, you did the work of four people. Yeah, I did, but I also took pictures of like seventy two cards at a time. I, I I put in a lot of preparation ahead. I went to the I went to camera school and I practiced what I was going to do. And when I got there, I was taking like gang scans. So, and then, but at high def, so I could zoom in it when I had to zoom in and, you know, after the fact. Um, but I think what Carvin's mentioning is they'd want to do one card at a time. Matt Godfrey says Jack Hughes or Quinn Hughes. I know nothing about hockey. I say both, but Ryan Rome says neither. So, but I, 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 I think both the Hughes brothers are going to be great in the league. That, that's my opinion on that. Let's move back in time in the comments. Yamwax, if you're still there, I've had your comment in the back of my mind. First of all, he's, uh, Corey says to you, Carvin, congratulations on landing your grail. Corey. Very nice. He goes on to say, I've heard you're dabbling in digital collectibles. Do you have a favorite <laughs> card slash moment from that space? Now, before you answer, Carve, okay. there's, there's something out there called NBA Top Shot. And NBA Top Shot is basically a blockchain-based collectible that they've called moments so they take an actual 
30-second or so clip from a game of a certain player, and they package it up, and it's and they offer it out in, in packs, and you get these moments in packs. You open up the packs on your screen, and you see these plays, and then you own this play. You own the video of this play, and they, only, they, they number them. There's a certain amount of them made. That's the extent, really, of what I know. But the key feature about these things that I do know is that this product is NBA licensed. They have a license from the NBA, which I think gives it a, a huge amount of credibility. And all of the sort of naysayers out there for now, you have to consider that the NBA is behind this, this particular product launch. Again, it's called NBA Top Shot. So, Carve, what can you tell us about these? I've done very minor research into it. What can you tell us about these moments? So, I, actually, uh, someone had mentioned to me about this, this app. And, and obviously, a few people that we follow on Twitter was mentioning how much money they made. And whether it's a spam to it, you know, tweet or not, I don't know. Um, but you definitely see they, they have everything encased in that one uh, website. Now, right now, it's not an app yet, a phone app or a, a mobile app. It's only the websites and beta testing. Um, you, buy, you could buy packs, $9 for three moments. The moments are numbered anywhere from 4,000 to 7,500, I believe. And you, they're all serial numbered. Even though it's not truly serial number, it says, you know, number 428 out of you know, 5,000. So you, you own that. And they immediately, as soon as you get it, you can go into a marketplace and you can put it on. So someone I was talking to, and someone's actually watching the show right now, they actually sold a LaMelo Ball moment for $57. It sold them within five minutes and the money's deposited into his, uh, into his account. Um, the app itself takes 5%. Um, and, and these are just the base cards we're talking about, the base sets. So if you finish the base set, you get some cred, they call you something else, you go up in rankings. Right now, I think when I was opening, I opened quite a few backs, I was like ranked number 115 in Canada uh, as, uh, out of the Raptors fans. So out of how many Raptors fans. And what, what I have to say about this is that it's backed by a lot of money. Samsung is one of the big investors. The cryptocurrency companies are big investors and we all know how much money that the cryptocurrency companies have um the the aspect of it is like if you go back 15 years ago i think my my mindset's changed ever since the kindle came out so the kindle kindle the amazon kindle right when people show me the first time this is the kindle i'm like what's that oh it's a tablet for reading books i'm like but what if the kindle goes out what if you lose it it's a it's a digital book right how much are you paying for digital books well almost the same price as a book but this is easier on the eyes it's easier to carry Remember, I'm a pack rat. I'm a collector. I want to own first edition of books as if it means that it's worth something, even though 99% of the time it isn't, but that 1% is going to kill me when I find out it is worth something, right? So I was like, why would you want to buy a digital book? Doesn't make sense. Well, that one Kindle bridged off to iPads, tablets, the fire, all these different, it's just a whole new generation of thinking and reading books now. And now it, add into the apps and now the surface and and these become mini computers now macbook pros and i'm uh, not macbook Pro, uh, ipad pros um it all bridged out from one idea like the kindle then you go into esports how many people know about esports why is there billions of dollars in esports i don't know why you know why are there why is there game e-gaming gear worth hundreds of thousands of dollars being sold from microtransactions i have no idea I don't understand it. I don't understand cryptocurrencies, but I'm also 50 years old or over 50 years old. So my thinking is way past the new generation of thinking, right? So I thought Pokemon cards would be out after two years. I didn't think Pokemon would last 25, 
25 years and worth hundreds of thousands of dollars or I would have kept my boxes that I had back in the day. So I, I, I want to just challenge people when they, before they say, oh, this idea is stupid or poo-poo it or whatever, give it a shot, think about it. Because someone else alluded to me about digital art. I mean, I, I never even heard of digital art, which is also another blockchain type item where guys or, or people, artists are doing digital art and selling 5,000 print runs of a digital art for $10,000. And they're being sold out in 10 minutes. So this is something that I think if you want to dabble in it, take a look at it. And if it's not for you, don't buy it. But, you know, as a card collector, obviously it's not tangible. It's, you know, but what's fractional ownership? Is that really tangible too? It's not. It's just I own a piece of it, right? Well, what's card collecting? It's just pieces of cardboard. I mean, we, the, right. you can, yeah, you, you, you can attack any of these things. It, it really, all it comes down to is are people willing to spend money on it? Yes or no? Because just because you aren't, does you don't project that on the rest of the world. Don't think just because you're not willing to that other people aren't. Uh, a Luca moment, I think it was. A guy I know recently opened up a pack he paid $240 for. He hit a special Luca moment. I think it was Luca. And he sold it for like $24,000. So somebody out there paid $24,000 approximately mm -hmm. for a Luca moment on the NBA Top Shot website. And this guy made a ton of money. On yeah. that, it was Vegas Fine Seven Seven Seven. I'm sure he'll be talking about it on his YouTube channel. He tweeted yeah. about it. That's how I know about it. So, the, the you know, it's a real product. I.e., it's a re, it's a true offering. I don't mean it's tangible, but it's an in, it's a real intangible product offering. It's licensed by the NBA, which is super important. It gives it a ton of credibility. Mm -hmm. And uh, the real question is, is it going to be a flash in the pan or is this thing going to be around five, 10 years down the road? And we're all going to be kicking ourselves for not going over to nbatopshot.com or whatever the website is called, whatever their website is, is named right now, and buying some of these some of these uh, these moments, if you will. But anyway, uh, I think it's interesting. I want to learn more about it. I'm not diving in head first or, or anything like that, but I'm curious to see what where it goes because I think it's an interesting concept and it's based on cutting edge technology and that's pretty pretty darn cool in my opinion all right man well we've still got about 10 minutes to go here um i you know rodman rodman's on fire tonight he he puts out a really nice open-ended question i see some people sure. in the comments are answering it but I, i'll put it on the screen he says what's the best and i love that rodman's asking it because and I've said it on the show before, but I know we have new viewers all the time. And to all new viewers, by the way, welcome to Sports Cards Live. Happy to have you. If you're not yet a subscriber on YouTube, please subscribe. Greatly appreciate it. Hit thumbs up, all those things that we ask for on YouTube. They help, apparently, and we appreciate it. Um, I like that Rodman's asking it because Rodman is a very focused collector of basketball cards. And I think, you know... Probably 95% Rodman, correct me if I'm wrong, probably 95% Michael Jordan, 5% other players, if that. But I like that he's asking because it may, maybe he's looking to join us in the world of hockey. Sure. So the question is, what's the best advice to any collector looking to get into hockey cards? Uh, you know, I'll let you kick it off, Carbon. Okay, so I know that I'm a, a little bit uh, indifferent to or different than Jeremy. And I know Jeremy likes collecting some of the inserts. My, my biggest thing is that ultimately in any trading cards the one thing rules all and that's rookie cards so if it, it all depends if you really want to chase the really elusive cards or you want to chase rookie cards and are you investing or are you speculating right so I'd, like for example this cup card that's the exquisite crosby 
that's what it is, right? That's the exquisite Crosby. If you get Ovechkin, that's the, that's the exquisite Ovechkin. They're both RPAs. They're both numbered to 99. Um, they came out in their rookie years, and that's the card to get. That's the rookie card. For Topps Chrome, as I said earlier, these two cards, right? Young Guns. So Young Guns, Crosby, Young Guns, Ovechkins, because there was no Chromium technology at that time, and I'll explain why this is the case. Back in that time, there was only one company that was licensed that had the trademark to do Chromium cards, and that one company had exclusive tops. So there's other sets that Upper Deck did called Reflections. They were like Chromium-like foil board that we, you know, we were trying to mimic the whole Chromium look. On on hockey, the set that everyone collects rookie cards is Young Guns, and in fact, if you look at Tops Chrome. LeBron, which is going for about $20,000, and the Crosby's only at four, that's only 20%. So this is why I say Crosby is the most underrated player, uh, underrated rookie card. And, you know, I, for one, I managed the collectability of both players. They came in during my tenure at Upper Deck. LeBron, Crosby, two years apart, right? Phenomenal players, first pick overall. You look at LeBron, prior to him winning the LA Lakers championship, he won three championships. He won two gold medals. Crosby, what did he do? He won three champions, three Stanley Cups with the Pittsburgh Penguins, had two gold medals. And we didn't get into gold moments here, but let's talk about gold moments. If you had to single uh, pick out a single play that won the championship for LeBron, one moment in time where you can say, I, I know, and I, I said it in my Instagram post, what is a gold moment? It's a moment for you where you remember that play, watching it, what you were doing that day, who you're with, probably what you ate. That's a GOAT moment. Okay, the GOAT moment for LeBron was blocking Iguodala's shot to win the championship for the team that he originally got drafted by, Cleveland. Uh, great, great moment. Um, however, there's something that to be said about a moment. We as card collectors visualize as kids, as our idols, and what do we do as our GOAT moments? It's always for basketball. We're down two points, and I hit that three-point shot when the buzzer goes. That's what wins. That's what Kawhi did. That's what Michael Jordan did in terms of against Boston. That's what Michael Jordan did against Georgetown in 82 with the Carolina uh, Tar Heels. So those are, to me, gold moments. I remember the day when Jordan scored that uh, the, the winning shot against Georgetown. I watched that game. I remember that. That was the first ever NCAA game I ever watched, and I became a Jordan fan from day one, from that point on. Uh, I also watched him in the 98 game against, or 99, is it? 99, right? No, 98, I think, right? I, I can't recall, sorry, my mind's fried. Uh, against Utah, against Byron Russell. I, I remember where I was lying on a couch watching that game uh, in my house in Toronto. Not my house, my parents' house, I guess. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> I can't remember everything again. Uh, exactly. For, for Sidney Crosby, his GOAT moment was the one moment that's probably cherished by at least 90% of all Canadian hockey fans. He scored the game-winning goal in overtime against the United States in Vancouver, hometown Olympics in 2010. Of course, I remember that game. I was at that game. <laughs> so that was one of the opportunities. Like After that, I think after that game, I'm a Leafs fan. I'm a Raptors fan. Horrible luck across the board. I said, if I was going to leave Upper Deck after this one game, this was the time that I would leave Upper Deck because there's not going to be another moment like this. I mean, we all cried. We were all hugging each other. I was with the NHLPA. I was with Upper Deck, the owner of Upper Deck. 
um, and we were embracing each other, just screaming out the anthem, everyone crying together. It was just a, a beautiful moment. And I'm sure that was the same case for across all the different living rooms across the entire nation of Canada. And then probably some bittersweet Americans in their living rooms too, which actually makes, I think, some of the Canadians even more happier that that happened. But I mean, it was just that that moment is the greatest gold moment because prior to that, 1972 was called the Summit Series where Canada played against the Russians or the Soviet Union at that time. Paul Henderson scored the game-winning goal and he became basically a national hero for many years because of that moment. So I would say Crosby, Young Guns is the buy. And then of course the cup rookies if you want to spend more money. But with Young Guns, they don't have refractors, but they have something called the Glossy and the Buyback. So those two cards are out of 10. They're extremely expensive, extremely rare, never comes up for sale. But those are the, the cards to chase if you want to spend money on it. Okay, well, good good answer uh, for Rodman. I'm going to take a, a slightly different approach, as you knew I would, Carbon. You know, I I, I agree that the rookie cards do drive the hobby, but I think that's we're we're seeing a bit of a shift. You know, we're seeing inserts, rare inserts, and parallels becoming highly sought after, led and kind of kind of pioneered. I both my perspective pioneered by the by the great basketball collectors out there not to say that 90s hockey inserts weren't heavily pursued by hockey collectors back then but you know i i get a ton of enjoyment from those rare inserts R rookie cards it's like yes i collect them too and i want rookie cards in my collection but to rodman's question if you're someone who's coming into hockey we're more the hockey hobby is so much more than just rookie cards there are a lot of great there, there's a ton of great um, inserts that, and a lot of them are going to be very appealing to the basketball collector because they are, they're based on a lot of basketball inserts. So, and we're going to see a whole product release coming out in April called Skybox Metal Universe. That's going to really, I think, leverage that. So I'm very excited about that. But, you know, and I noticed that uh, Brett, Brett ba basically gave the, the general rules, the, like the core rules for collecting, have fun. Find people who are positive, engage with them, ask questions, and explore what your budget allows. But then he realized that Rodman isn't isn't brand new to collecting, and uh, I like this because Brett says I answered with a mindset of a person entering the hobby for the first time. Sorry about that, but Rodman goes on to say, you know, it's all good. Your answer was spot on, which it was. So I want to yeah. just appreciate, as does Rodman, uh, Brett's comments that should be taken by everybody. They're, those are kind of the golden rules of collecting, I would say is just have a good time. And I see other people are, are recognizing that as well. Brody says, oh, Brody says, great advice. I've been listening and trying to learn more about hockey. Good stuff, Brody. Uh, Terry gives some advice as vintage goats are always the way to go. Hard to argue with that. Uh, Ryan wants to know, is that Crosby golden goal on any hockey cards? The per, you know the person who could answer that would be Barry from Com C, who's probably watching quietly in the background right now, but Barry from Com C tends to know where you can find cool cards like that. Um, yeah, I want to bring up, I saw, I just caught the word jambalaya in a product, one of my favorite cards of all time. So I'm going to bring up Yamax's comment is, I love that 90s Fleer and Upper Deck basketball inserts were adopted for modern hockey. So guys like McDavid and McKinnon have jambalayas, PMGs, etc. as do I. Uh, Legion gives us seven rounds of applause. That's his max carve. I think it's his max. So we're wow. doing great. Thank you, Legion. As always, great to have you here. Uh, Andy Max says that Paul Henderson scored three game winners to end that series, being the 72 Summit Series, but many Canadians don't know who he was today. And that's true. 
because that that was his only real moment. His NHL career was was, was a fine career, but nothing spectacular. So true enough. And here he is, as I mentioned, Com C. Barry says there is no golden goal Crosby card. So he timely uh, timely response, Barry. I knew you were watching, buddy. I knew you were there. All right. Uh, and David Weir says there's no way Crosby's golden goal compares to Gretzky and Lemieux teaming up to win the 87 Canada Cup. Not even close. Good argument. I mean, I got it. You know, David, I appreciate the comment, but it really depends how old you are. It depends where you were in your life when you were watching that. I lived through both and I cried at both of them for me. And I'm in my late 40s. I put them, you know, they were both awesome in their time. I was younger in 87 than I, than I was in 2010, but I don't necessarily think one is better or worse than the other. I, 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 I really appreciate both of them. So uh, that's just me. And uh, Com C. Barry says, no company has the rights to produce Olympic cards, but it would be nice. And that's why we don't see that. So thanks for that context, Barry. Really, really helpful. Okay, well, I think we've uh, we've hit on just about everything that we plan to carve. Um, we we have we have a couple minutes. Uh, um, we can go for about ten more minutes, and then we got to cut it off. I need a break because I have after hours starting in twenty five minutes with Richard Ho, who's an awesome collector, and uh, it's going to be fun to to have him on later. So I invite everybody back to watch that. It's a bit of a more relaxing uh, episode than this one, and uh, so that'll be a lot of fun. But carve any uh, anything else you want to that comes to mind. No, I mean, David, first off, I mean, if you read my Instagram post, I do reference the Wayne Gretzky, uh, Mario Lemieux goal. So I, I remember I just caught the end of that game down to like the last few minutes. And I saw that I was like two of the goats at the same time and scoring that goal. That I think that's what made it special, you know, in that, in that Canada Cup game in 87. But uh, obviously part, part of it for me was it's Olympic gold versus, you know, the World Canada Cup. And also, I was at that game, so that made a big difference for me. So, you know, just feeling the atmosphere uh, in that stadium that day. And you know, also the world has changed in the early seven. In the early, uh, well, sorry, I'm thinking about the Summit Series now, which really a lot of people would argue that Paul Henderson's goal is bigger than both of those other ones because it was Canada versus Russia. You know, right. the Soviet Union, '87. Right. You know, and I let me be. Let's be clear. And David Weir, to you too. That was a humongous goal in my life because the person that won that face-off that led to that goal was yeah. Dale Howardchuck. I'm from Winnipeg originally. You know, he was the best player ever to play for that team until Team Muslani came around. But that's another story. Um, you know, that was a. Uh, I remember being in my parents' house jumping up at when that goal was scored. I remember it not as well as I remember the golden goal, but I do remember it very well. So, you know, the world has changed, right? As you mentioned, Carbon, that was Canada Cup. So it was a bit different than the Olympics in 2010. The Olympics was a it was a big deal in 2010. So, but I think I think we can all we can agree, David, that both moments are very special to us as Canadian hockey fans and Canadian sports fans. Okay, uh, I want to Bobby Burrell in the crowd. Thanks, Bobby, for joining. I want to thank you, Carvin. Thanks for sharing. Interesting show. Thank you, Bobby. Yeah, I agree with you, Luke. They got to make a golden goal card. Maybe the Olympics should. Uh, get their act together and find a way to maybe bring in some revenue if they could. Yeah. Brett says all three goals are iconic for each of those eras that exactly in those eras. And it's like comparing players between eras. It's tough to do comparing these goals is tough to do. There depends where you were in your life when they happened, right? They're going to be more important to certain people based on how exciting they, how excited they were at the time. 
Uh, Andy Mack says that Crosby has a golden goal card, 2012-13 in the game history of hockey set. Sweet card, thanks. Yeah, uh, would that be that would not be a licensed card? Is sort of one of the things. It's still a card though, still a card. Rodman, mm -hmm. thank you very much. Appreciate having you for your Saturday. And as always, Kelly Winters, thank you for joining us. Carb, I want to thank you for joining me, man. So it's really, it's really cool, man. You joined me on episode two, which was the first episode I had a guest on. I've had guests on every episode since then, except for one of them. So you were my guest on episode two. That was a that was a that was a special episode for me. You were a guest on episode number thirty. I think I renamed it thirty-one because I wanted an episode thirty to be Doctor Beckett on my show, but we had that special episode. That was a great episode, one of the most views ever for a, a, a show on Sports Cards Live. And now episode 75, which is an anniversary episode. I didn't make any hoopla about it, but this is episode 75. It's a, it's a big deal. It's great to have you here, man. Right. And we go back 15 years now as friends, so it's just always nice to have you on. Uh, Legion says good night. Matt Godfrey, thank you for joining. Peace and fun to you as well. Uh, Building, who is a great commenter on the videos, always learned something new from these shows. Not a hockey collector, but kind of thinking about it now. Mission accomplished, right? Let's let's grow the hockey segment. It's a great segment within the overall hobby, and uh, and I, I collect all sports, so you know I I really I think I, I have some uh, qualifications to say that. Big unit, thank you very much for joining. Glad you enjoyed the show. Legion, we'll see you at after hours. Yam, Corey, always good to have you. Dennis Lescombe Senior, thank you for the five fire star. We appreciate that. Thank you, JSUT. Brett, thank you. Al, great to have you as always. Thank you so much. Carve, we're going we're gonna to wrap up. Thank you, Terry. I'm going to keep clicking on these comments as they come in, as people sure. say goodnight, but uh, final comments from you. Uh, you know, I'd I love to see the hockey love. I mean, it's kind of funny because for me, I, I actually love basketball more than hockey and to a certain degree, but then the Canadian in me, I guess, the genetics and all that, I, I still love hockey. The one thing that I would say for all basketball collectors, what you should do is take some YouTube videos and watch some of these these guys practice or shooting or skating, and you would be amazed the skill that hockey players have, number one. Number two, feel free to DM me if you want or hit me up on Instagram. You know, we can talk hockey, and uh, I encourage you. And third of all, Hockey has the best patches of all sports. Yeah, it's got the best patches. Like the logos are incredible. Um, when you start seeing those patches, I think that that's what turned a lot of the other sports collectors uh, into hockey. So going back to 2006, Upper Deck used to have something called the Diamond Club, and Jeremy did partake, I believe, in 2008 with the one with Tony, uh, Tony Ryan. 2009. That's 2009. So the first one I believe was 2006. We had LeBron James, and we had all these big collectors. Um, that stores nominated because they were their, you know, their big supporters of their stores. Um, at that event, I believe there was like three Diamond Club collectors that bought hockey. After spending one year with me, two years with me, 60 to 70% of all the Diamond Club guys were buying hockey. And they're like, man, this community is great. The, um, the, the hockey community is just completely, really different. And I think Jeremy can attest to that. It's a very close-knit unit there are a lot of set collectors a lot of pc collectors they collect certain players they'll help you out you know help educate you they welcome everyone on board they're, they're yeah. just a great bunch of people so sure. but definitely if you want to collect hockey or anybody wants to talk to me you can dm me you can instagram me and uh we can chat even more all right yeah, there, 
Hope There's Carvin's uh, Instagram handles right there at Carvin15. Guys, reach out to him, follow him, all that. I want to remind everybody to give a follow on Instagram also to at the Big Three Hockey. Great supporters of this show, and these guys have awesome, awesome cards. Um, we're gonna just wrap it up here, Daniel. Yes, we will see you soon. Uh, Bobby makes a great comment. He says 1972 Team Canada game versus Russia. Almost every school in Canada had a TV in their classrooms showing that game. I mean, I've heard that story before. So that comes as no surprise. Darcy, good evening, says hi to us. Miss you guys. Go basketball. <laughs> Carvin, miss our visits from Expo. One of the best times. Sure. Loves, loves your sets. Uh, Kickdown says hockey has the best team logos in general. Patches are awesome. No doubt about it. An anonymous Facebook user says Carvin rocks, which I will not dispute. All right, guys. Also, just quickly before we wrap up, upcoming episodes next Saturday, Brad Hartland from PSA Canada will be joining. That's going to be interesting. And the week after, Brett McGrath from the very popular and very insightful podcast, Stacking Slabs, will be joining me. I can't wait for that one. I can't wait for every episode, but that's going to be awesome because this guy is just, uh, just a great personality in the hobby. I can't wait to have him on. That's it, Carve. I'm, we're we're going to sign off. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining. Coming back in 17 minutes on After Hours with Richard Ho. Hope to see you all there. If not, we'll see you all next Saturday. Have a great week ahead, everybody. Thank you for joining, and good night. Thank you. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.